Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to Patreon.com slash Media. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode number 208. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Chris Reagan. Chris, welcome. You're holding a mic like a, like a talk show host. I love that. You know, we got to get you one of those long, long prices right mics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. For when you do this. <laughs> yeah, at this point, I might as well just keep holding it forever yeah. from here on out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Looks like you're going to spit a hot, a hot rat. Like a, a, a cipher, if you will. Yeah, cipher. Sure. How's life? How are you doing, my friend? Good. Been uh, I've been moving around a lot. Been like meeting with uh, some sponsor people. Uh, I'm meeting at VidCon later tonight with a bunch of content creators. See if I can get some people on the sh- on the Star Tank. Cool. Uh, and also just in general to just hang out. There's going to be some people there that I haven't seen in a long time. And the Act Man, who is like the center of like a huge like YouTube kerfuffle right now, is going to be there. So. We get to talk to him for the first time since I think PAX four or five years ago. But uh, aside from that, I've just been working, uh, editing some stuff, shooting a little bit of stuff out here. I have some videos like just sitting on my channel waiting to be published because I figured like, ah, I'll just make stuff in advance to post while I'm out Very here. Nice. But uh, Very nice. maybe that'll go live in the next day or two. But 
been chilling. Good. We're going to have some inquiries from the audience for, for you about some things you've been saying, but we're not going to get to them <laughs> quite yet. Before we do that, we'll get Dustin Furman involved, executive producer of Last Stand Media. Dustin, tell me about your life. Uh, I'm, I'm doing good. Doing great, actually. I was so i was in virginia last week that you guys saw on the on the video version now i'm back home and i'm it's it's weird because i feel like sometimes when you travel it seems to like bunch up together it's like traveling attracts other traveling and so i'm getting ready ready to travel again tomorrow to philadelphia which we'll talk about in a little bit and uh it's one of those things where it's like this is kind of I had like days in between, like first I was Cedar Point, then Virginia, and now this. And it's kind of like after this, I'm good for the rest of the summer, I think. Like I don't need to really go anywhere. I kind of just want to be at home in this dark room and, uh, you know, do mysterious you. shit, like play games or something. I don't know. It's not that mysterious, but I yeah. totally understand. Maybe mysterious things in the game. I mean, that's totally fine. But yeah, definitely. I, uh, I'm interested in this. Um, in this traveling, attracting other traveling, I feel mm. like that's that is like something that you would read in Poor Richard's Almanac in the 18th century, like a, a piece of wisdom from Benjamin Franklin. Yeah. You know, like guests and fish stink after three days, that kind of thing. Right. Like traveling attracts other traveling. Right. I like it. Yeah. yeah. It, I, it seems to always be the case for me. I mean, maybe it's just because I'm not good at thinking that far ahead or it's just these things tend to. I don't know. Just sometimes it's a it just happens to be together. And so it's like you get home, you're home for a few days. It's the worst, though, if you've ever had to like if you've been gone for a week and then you're home like two days and then you got to leave again. There's nothing worse than that. I've had a whole uh, almost a whole week at home before this. And this next trip is short, so it's not that bad. But I've yeah. done that quick turnaround and there's there's nothing worse than that. Yeah. Other people traveling gives me agita. Oh, like just because it's just the thought of ha me having to go somewhere <laughs> yeah. gives me agita. So by being by like my sister, Dana is uh, she's a teacher and, and she has three boys and her husband, my brother in law is a principal of a middle school. So they like just go and travel all over the place over the summer and get and, and I'm just like just by being around them, it stresses me out. I'm like, I don't want to go anywhere and do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Just when you come back, pretend as if you didn't leave because it stresses me out yeah. when you tell me about your trip. Yeah, Traveling is hell. Like, like it's not even yeah. really being in the plane or nothing. I, I feel like to me, it's like the airport trip, like specifically oh. the airport that fucks it up. I had like a whole thing where like my plane, I think the doors to my plane closed at 915 and I got there at 917 and they let me on anyway because I looked like I had gone through hell to get there. Yeah, you don't got to play it so by the book, you yeah. know, airlines. It's a little much. Yeah, it's a bit much. We'll, be a little bit looser for yeah you told the full story about that on the quarry spoiler cast i think right is that where we heard i don't remember i can't i think i'm I, i'm not sure if i told Why would it. i know that i think i told it was on the quarry show it's just not oh, out okay. yet it will be oh okay. yeah, yeah on yeah. saturday so jesus gotcha. christ gotcha. so i'm glad everyone's well i'm glad we're all situated we're here for sacred symbols thank you all out there for being with us for your kindness and support remember you can support us on patreon Patreon.com slash Media for early ad-free access to every episode of the show. Two episodes a week of Sacred Symbols Plus, our supplemental podcast, and the ability to spend your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas. Even get your name in the credits. Recent Sacred Symbols Plus episodes, as we just teased, we did a hour plus, pretty lengthy, actually, conversation, more like an hour and a half, I think. Uh, Quarry 
conversation, spoiler cast and review discussion. I would say we got Ben involved, our associate editor as well. So that was the four of us. And I think we had four very different experiences with the game or what I wouldn't say very different, but a staggering. Michael was asking, like, what did everyone think of it? And I said, I felt like there was a stagger, like a tier system mm-hmm. in which I was like the lowest and someone else would be the highest and two people slotted in the middle. So look forward to that. It'll go live the day after this goes live for patrons. I did a really awesome episode about PlayStation VR with uh, um, uh, what's his name? Brian? I already forgot Brian, right? Uh, like Brian, yeah, yeah, from PSVR without parole. I'm so I'm so bad with names so until they I. get yeah. fucking jammed into my head, man. I'm I'm learning that more and more in my neighborhood too, where it's like, oh, I don't know anyone's name. Uh, Super Perils of Baking, making of. We got everyone that worked on the game involved uh, involved in the game to talk about our different experiences with it. A lot of people were really interested that I finally told the story about how we had to remove a reference to Taiwan being a country from the PS4 and PS5 versions of Super Perils of Baking. And um, I talk about that in the show. And so people might particularly be interested in that angle. Well, uh, did one about Street Fighter. I'm sorry. That Dustin. explains the Arc System Works. Just to add some. We, that's something we talked about in the show that we never right. understood. And that yeah, brought some context. Right, exactly. And Ben brought up brought up some information to bear where because it's it's in their their documentation that you can't do it. But we explicitly asked, apparently, which I didn't know. And they were like, no, oh, no, because uh, I, I wrote a poem. So the Super Perils of Baking has a, an enemy compendium that is a cookbook. So I wrote a cookbook and it's like a fake cookbook. It's like so there's a cookie. It's like get flour and and get water and all these things. But then it gets crazier and crazier. And then there's a little description. And for the toaster, I wrote about how the toaster was made for a dollar a day in China. So, who, of course, it doesn't work. And then one of them, like it was, you know, one, two, three, four, five, the different steps. And the fifth step was just said, just said Taiwan as a country. That's all it said. <laughs> and uh, we couldn't uh, put that in the game, but it is in the Xbox PC and Switch versions of the game. So there is a minor difference in the PS4 and PS5 iterations. Huh, and we talk a little bit about that. Weird. Yeah. So. So, yeah, thank you all out there for your kindness with Sacred Symbols Plus. We're really enjoying doing it. We're going to continue rolling them twice a week, and that'll allow us to explore different topics at hand. I have some exciting ones coming up, including one with a Ukrainian gamer. So we did one with a Russian gamer. I said it felt a little weird to ask anyone in Ukraine not to to come talk to us about video games, but we've had some takers nonetheless. And so uh, we're going to do that. I am um, working on getting some people. Chris, I saw you talking on Twitter about how stupid it is that we still talk about Gamergate. And I totally agree. And so I'm having someone from the political world on to talk about the cross section of games and politics as far as Gamergate is this inflection point and what it means to people outside of gaming mm-hmm. as well, because it's just so stupid. Kotaku wrote that trash. Yeah, it's um, always Kotaku. It, it never isn't Kotaku yeah. is the thing. It's like yeah. it's, it's always them. It's like they keep because, the, well, they know it's a strong search term somehow, somehow still like I don't I don't. Uh, so disappointing it's 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 kind of hypocritical for me to say this because we are no doubt discovered in search terms on itunes google whatever but i think it says something about your about your uh, product and your entire method if you're relying on seo still and you're not a farm yeah you shouldn't be writing pieces because people are going to find it on google and you're totally right because i worked at a website and i know what that's like it's that article was bad all right 
Let's see. Oh, Dustin, you have something to say because you're going to be. Yeah, this is kind of coming in, coming in hot. So only people that listen to this on Patreon are going to even know. But right. I'm going to go on. I'm going to make a post on Facebook as well. And I posted this on on Twitter. So I'm trying to get the word out because we just finalized the details on this just the other day. But Ben and I will be at too many games. It's a convention in the Philadelphia area. I think it's at the uh, the Greater Philadelphia Expo Center. And so we will be hanging out there. We don't have anything official going on at the convention. But if you see us there, you Please come up and say hello. We would love that. But we thought since we're there, let's do a Last Stand community meetup. And so the details on that are it will be this Saturday, June 25th. And we're doing it at Bald Birds Brewing, which is about a nine minute drive from the convention center. Not too far. It's from 7 to 10 p.m. You don't need a convention pass to come. You can just pull up, hang out, and uh, the rest of the team will not be there. It'll be just Ben and I. Dagan is a maybe. And I think that adds a little mystery to it. Will yeah, Dagan be there? You can't roll it. Dagan is an, an ethereal. Right. Ghost like creature. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know. Maybe like I was surprised last weekend. My because my, my brother, for people that don't know Dagan, we do. I do knock back with him every week, but he's a, an animator. I think he's working on a Nickelodeon contract right now. I could be wrong, but uh, he works from home and he is a complete workaholic and, and just kind of an insane person. And it really infringes on your ability to get him to do or commit to much of anything. And I was surprised to learn last weekend that he not only like my mom and my sit, one of my sisters went there to see him or whatever. And then he went to New Jersey to our beach house. I was like, what is it? And now he's going to too many games. I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, here? that's crazy. You know? Cool it. Cool it. So. We got a good a good maybe from Dagan. So we'll we'll yeah, see. Good. But the last thing I just want to emphasize is that Please. this is low key. So if you if you come up to me at this thing and say you drove three hours, I'm going to I mean, I'm going to kick you out, which is not really possible because uh, it's it's not my business. But I'm going to try to anyway. Don't don't go crazy. This is yeah. just meant to be fun. Um, but I really I mean, I can't stop you. But low key hang out at Bald Birds Brewing. Philadelphia this weekend I'll make posts out sorry for the free feed listeners just because like I said this has come together very quickly everybody lied to Dustin when you get there everybody's like I drove 10 minutes to see you even no matter how far you drove (laughs) everybody should just unanimously agree we we all drove 10 minutes exactly exactly yeah cool we'll have fun and uh stay safe out there Pistolvania where the shooters is as Wiz Khalifa would say you gotta gotta stay strapped any given minute you can take that long nap (laughs) <laughs> All right. A few topics of discussion. Ivory State wrote in and said, hey, SS crew. I don't know if you should be calling us. Yeah, that. don't do that. Don't I don't stop, like stop. that. Stop. I'm sorry, but I have to issue a stand down order to Chris from last episode. You don't have to like sports <laughs> to appreciate Rocky as a film. It's an emotional underdog story that even someone who knows nothing about boxing or combat sports at all can enjoy. Saying you don't like Rocky because you don't like sports is the same as saying you don't like Apocalypse Now because you don't like war. They both transcend their surface level genre to become an excellent general film experience. It's interesting. What do you think about that? Some people did take uh, umbrage with this. Yeah, I know. People love Rocky. I get it. It's (laughs) punching. Uh, I I think to me, it's just like uh, I I think there's too much cultural osmosis with Rocky for the same reason. I feel like there was just too much cultural osmosis with um, Star Wars for a while that really prevented me from getting into it and, and still has, quite honestly. Where, like, a lot of the value of Star Wars, especially, like, the, the, the people who originally saw it, saw it because it was a new experience. It was, like, a novel experience. It's like, oh, how cool, how new, how interesting. Whereas, like, my introduction 
to it was through parody and like satire and just like completely just it being an unavoidable part of like growing up in the late 90s early 2000s it was just every fucking where to the point where like i knew the plot of star wars before i had even seen it like because i'd seen i don't know some family guy thing or some or some like that's exactly what i was thinking space balls or 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 i i listened to that weird al uh saga begins american pie song and i'm like oh Oh, yoda yeah yeah, or yeah yeah, exactly like i know everything about star wars without having seen it so when i see it i'm just left underwhelmed because it's kind of not as entertaining (laughs) as the nonsense versions of it you know like it it, it's almost played too seriously and rocky was another one of those things where it's like growing up everybody did like the and i'm like i get the like the steps and ivan drago and like i know all the beats i know everything i know about like how he loses i know like all of it apollo what's crazy is that ivan is like in the fourth one i know so like it all melds and I agree with you because it all melds in the mo- one movie. I think you got like the kind of stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah. You have um, some Apollo Creed, you know, in there. A little but bit. Mr. T from the third one. Definitely part of it. Drago from the fourth one. And then the mental undoing of Rocky, which is what the fifth one's about. I feel like it all melds into one meme. Right. It does because because it's, it's just I mean, what can you do with <laughs> with boxing? Other, I, it, It's a limited scope of that movie. Not that that's like a problem. I mean, like it's supposed to be what it is, but. Every time I try to sit down and watch a movie like Rocky that's been so such a cultural touchstone, I get so bored because I just I see everything that's going to happen and I and I, I just know what's going to happen. And I just don't feel I don't feel like I like the sports angle enough of, enough for it to pull me through to the actual cinematic experience of it. I understand it's like a dumb thing. It's like a like my brain does it. And quite frankly, I think war is kind of cool in fiction. Like I don't know about I don't know that's if that's totally. it. Like I don't think it, like boxing in fiction is way less interesting than boxing real in like in real life. And I feel like yeah. fiction hmm. fictional war is almost like the opposite where it's like, "Ooh, how cool. You can do like fucking anything and it's not real, so it doesn't matter." But I don't know. Rocky's fine. <laughs> Fair I haven't seen Creed, though, which I heard is was pretty good. I haven't either. I've only there's there's a few Rocky like spinoffs that I've that I've not seen because there isn't there a new one called Rocky. I think. Oh, Rocky Balboa. Yeah. yeah. Like I never saw that. It's Rocky. Uh, Rocky 2016. <laughs> Rocky. Exactly. That's exactly right. Ninja Turtles 1990. OK. Chris Schaefer wrote in. And said, dear Colin, I come in time and a time of great need. He says, for your son, Chris Ragon has tempted fate and promising an OnlyFans. If his YouTube channel reaches one million subs by the end of the year, I ask for you to call on your hundreds of millions of fans to subscribe to your boy's channel. So well, that don't do tens that. of people who want this can be satiated. Are you really going to do this? Well, because I wanted to bring this up because that's you can make an OnlyFans and not do anything with it. Right. That's right. not what well, you said in the video, Chris, though. That is not what that's I said in the video. But oh, okay, but I see. but. I choose my words very carefully. I'll just have you all know. I choose my words very carefully. I want you to listen very closely. And then go ahead, subscribe. Go go, go ahead, do it. Boost my negotiation power with ad companies. <laughs> go ahead. I dare you. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's good stuff. I'm the exact opposite on YouTube, though. I think it frustrates Dustin and Ben because I want our numbers to just... I like the comparison of... Like, Sacred Symbols is getting bigger. So our numbers are getting more and more impressive compared to our subscriber numbers, which grow way slower than the show's numbers are growing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I kind of like that. I don't know. 
I think I see some of these channels with like two, you know, 500,000 subscribers and they get half our numbers. And I'm like, I don't want to be that. I would rather you not subscribe at all unless you're positive you're going to watch the stuff. That's you know? true. Yeah. As yeah. weird as that is. No, I, I know what you mean. Like, I've, I've, yeah. I've, I think I've publicly said, like, I don't know if it was in videos or on Twitter or like somewhere, but like, I remember saying, like, yeah, I would, I would, if, if there was a button to like purge like dead subscribers, I would press it. I would press it. I don't give a Me shit. Too. I don't give a shit if it like makes my subscriber count like 100K or something, you know, because that would just make the views more impressive. You know, yeah. And wouldn't you want to know? I mean, I, I feel the same way on Twitter. That's, yeah, I would like, want to know. I would do the same thing on Twitter. I have what, one hundred and sixty five thousand people or whatever. I, if I lost half of them, that's fine, because then it's just. They're not there anyway. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. Like I've been on YouTube for like my channel has existed on YouTube since 2007. You know, I have about six hundred and sixty something thousand subscribers. I I would wager at least like five thousand of you are dead. You yeah, know, definitely. like like just definitely. statistically, I know it's morbid, but like, I mean, surely, surely a sizable enough number of you guys have fucking kicked the bucket doing some bullshit. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so like, I don't know, I would I would like to have like a more accurate subscriber count rather than just this inflated, inaccurate number. Like, I don't you know, and my channel still does pretty well, surprisingly, despite the fact that I post so re- irregularly. It's kind of surprising. But, you know. If it did as well as it does and I had like 10,000 subscribers, that's crazy cool. Like that's almost like a badge of honor. It's like, oh, fuck. This dude's Uh, dude's blasting through the ceiling. That's why I'm totally we're at a we're at a almost like we're almost at a 50 percent basically with the biggest episodes of of sacred, like getting up to 40,000, which is like half of our subscriber. I'm like, that's. That's good to me. Yeah, you know? I would rather that than look f- weird. And we all know about these channels that look a little weird. Oh, right? yeah. Like the dying husk of G4. When I tune in, when I go over there, they have all of these subscribers and just no views. And I'm like, that's not a good look. Mm-hmm. It's not a good look, my friends. All right. Um, well, only fans can't wait to see Chris's dong. <laughs> only fans. Should I be saying that? I don't know. I don't know, man. You're, you're know canonically my dad, I think. So it's a little I weird. know. Well, it's getting a little weird. I'm Italian, so, you know, the Romans were getting a little weird <laughs> back in the day, you know, uh, it's true. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. 
when you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. All right, Dustin, you're not going to escape. Zachary Parkerson oh, wrote ready in. for this one. Said Sacred Boys, I hereby propose Dustin is no longer allowed to give Colin shit for his crippling trophy compulsions. Dustin can't let a single game be named without wondering or talking about all of its technical aspects. Nary a game is mentioned without Dustin piping in about its frame rate or its fidelity. Dustin has his own compulsive shit to work through as well. And as we all know, I'm sorry, those in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. It's a good thing Chris is there to keep level slit aheads. <laughs> good day, gentlemen. Zachary Parkerson coming in hot. Mm. Hmm. You don't, Chris. Chris has, seems to take some umbrage here. I think I have an yeah, issue with this. Be, over, right? I think I have an issue yeah. with this only because I feel like I'm a little bit more harsh on frame rates and 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 fidelity, specifically frame rates than probably anybody. You know, like they're, Zachary they're, has it out for Dustin. Then, yeah, yeah. I, I feels like it because I specifically will not. If something runs like sub thirty, like twenty nine, I probably won't play it at all. Like, yeah, you know, like I feel like Dustin's a lot more forgiving of that stuff. He just mentions it, right? Well, and okay, the. The honest answer is the reason why I, one of the reasons I do that is that it's one of the areas I feel like I'm pretty knowledgeable about and I do extensive research about for the show. So it's enabled to provide context. But since Zachary's coming in here hot, trying to compare this to some kind of trophy mental illness, here's the thing, okay, with frame rates and stuff like that is that, for example, uh, I'm going to talk about playing, I play the Resident Evil HD the, the GameCube one that they ported to PS4. Yeah, I saw that you played that. Yeah. That's interesting. So yeah. I booted it up and realized that it was 30 FPS. And guess what? That annoyed me a little bit because it's such an old game, but I thought it's not a big deal. The main time that I have really given Colin shit for trophies is when he refuses to play games based on it having a platinum <laughs> or not. I feel like that's more extreme. Just me? Teach their own? teach their own and you know what it may be maybe this question did provide some valuable context that people enjoy different aspects of games i in like to me when a game has great fidelity and great performance this pleases me this adds to the enjoyment for me greatly and i've listed out the reasons why many times before on this show but uh you know for that for me you know that's the that's one of the things but for others it may be that that trophy pop. And so I will conclude by saying once again, teach their own. Well, that's interesting. No, I, I you are saying teach their own, but I think his whole con- contention is that I'm a little more laissez faire than you, right? Like mm. I'm not out here fucking throwing stones at anyone. That, I'm the one who keeps saying that there's no right way to play games. People always tell me you're not playing the game right. I'm like, well, mm, mm. so I understand what you're saying, but I feel like you're a little more judgy. Oh, and that's fine. That's totally fine. I'm playing. I'll, I'll talk about it when, we're, when we get to what we're playing, but I'm 100 percenting a game on N64 right now, and it's driving me insane just because <laughs> I'm not earning any trophies. Like it's like I'm, I wrote in the trophy channel on Discord. I feel like I'm wasting all of my time right now just because I'm not uh, I'm like, not only am I just playing a game, I am balls deep in this game, you know, so <laughs> just like uh, I have no there'll be no proof that this ever happened. <laughs> and that bothers me. But you you are the proof. Like it's it's all that matters is that you know you played it. 
the I, I understand that, but you know what has brought trophies that brought to mind Chris for me more than anything. And maybe we've I brought this up in the past is that I have no doubt so many motherfuckers were lying about games. Oh yeah, for day, sure. What yeah. they were playing, about what they were beating, just based on trophies now, and how many people play games and then ha- get through to the end. It's like oh. I would love to know how many of you actually beat some of these games. Yeah. Sons of bitches. No, but, but you can't get away with that anymore. That's what I love. There was a guy at IGN when I first started working there. They got fired for lying about how much he played a game for review because they could prove it with the trophy or it was actually not trophies. It was achievements. So I like that kind of stuff. Also, I think someone from GameSpot got fired for playing an MMO for like an hour. And then writing a review, not thinking oh, that they no. could just see that. Oh, my God. Go look, look that up. That's probably a 15 year old story at this point. All right. What else is going on? Oh, I wanted to ask you guys this. This comes from Miles Varalis. By Odin's fade. Do you guys say Reese's pieces or Reese's pieces? Is- I fucking hate it. Oh, my God. And I know exactly. We all know what he's talking about. Yes. Right. And I've never wanted to murder a person more than when they say Reese's Pieces. It's how do you get Reese's without an I? It's Reese's. Yeah, it's, Reese. It's Reese's pe- and Pieces. Yeah, it's pieces of Reese. And it, it's what very piece? Clear. we don't know. Uh, yeah, we don't know. It could be anything. <laughs> but Reese is a big boy, I guess. Because <laughs> well, it's, it's multiples of his pieces. It, it, it indicates it's all of them. Right, but right, just yeah, yeah. It's pieces we, he created, not pieces of him. Hopefully, <laughs> uh, let's hope not. But, but right. the, possessive, but plural. But the yeah. idea is like you—you you have to actively fuck the word pieces. You know what I mean? You have to actively like contort and Frankenstein the word pieces into being a fake word, just so you can pronounce Reese's wrong. Whereas like Reese is a name and mm-hmm. pieces is a word and they rhyme for that reason. So clear, like I've met people who say this and I don't say anything because I'm a kind person, but right. you know, I'm thinking like death, death upon you. Yeah, you know, totally. It's, it's a very stressful thing to hear. Mm-hmm. Disconcerting. Chris, I have I to agree say with you. It, but any better than that. Um, Dustin, please. Yeah, please I was just, I have to. I am. I think we are. This is a rare moment where not only are we all in agreement, we're all extremely passionate about this. And it's funny you brought this up, Colin, because I was uh, I was at Dairy Queen probably about two weeks ago. And the woman in front of me ordered a blizzard with Reese's Pieces. And I it, like ugh, like I felt it throughout my whole body. That moment when I heard it and it's uh, it's it had been a while, but I was like, man, a wild a wild sighting or hearing of this. And it just, uh, I, I was so enraged when we left. I, I talked to Holly about it and I told her, I was like, this made me very angry to hear it. How can people say this? And so I'm really (laughs) happy that it's being brought to light on the show. I have this, uh, well, I think a lot of people do, you know, I talk to my dog in like a certain voice and it sounds like something that I, uh, the Southern voice. Yeah. And it sounds like something that my, uh, it sounds like something that, like a made up language would include, you know, when you incorporate like words and you just make things up and you have like a little special language with someone or whatever, an accent Reese's PCs. I couldn't say about any better than Chris did just because it already rhymes. You don't have to say it a different way and then make those two words fake and rhyme with each other. Yeah, it's really quite. It's just flagrant in how ridiculous it is. It's narcissism. And how people just get away with it. It's entirely narcissistic because it's like, oh, look at how unique I am. Look at the way that I say this thing that you've been saying correctly the whole time. But it's it's my own little way. Fuck you. Yeah, get fucked. (laughs) Yeah, get fucked. Get out of here. (laughs) All right. 
let's get into some smaller news items here. Yeah, I want to start with this. I'm a little salty. Actually, I'm I'm a little I'm moderately salty about something, and I want to just bring it up here. I don't I don't want to make a big deal out of it. No one say anything to this person or do anything. I just want to put it out there. Everyone who listens to Sacred Symbols knows that months ago, months ago, I broke the story that 2K picked up a Google Stadia game from Supermassive. And then I was the one who told you later that that game was the quarry. Right. Everyone who listens to this show knows that. Yeah. I bring this up because Axios, Stephen Totillo at Axios, wrote a story breaking this news about the quarry. And that just really got my goat because it's it's just bullshit. I don't I don't like not getting cited for things. Here's why. Because people are so excited to tell me when I get things wrong. That's fine. Yeah, that's your right to do that. You can't steal the things from me that I got right. You know, yeah, so I go to the quarry's Wikipedia page. And it's cited the Axios story cited there. And I'm like, oh, you stole one from me. One got by the goalie. And I just needed to point it out. I don't like it. Bothers me. Do I think it's Steven Totillo's fault? Well, Steven Totillo and I don't really get along very well. I did invite him on the show recently. He said no. But he was the editor in chief, Chris, when all those hit pieces were written about us. Oh, yeah. Nice. And remember, they, and remember they reached out to me in quotes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they for a comment, but I never heard a word from them. So I, I'm not trying to make it personal from that point of view and from like he's his whatever. It's just. I was a journalist for a long time, and when I learned through different ways that a story had been broken before or whatever, you always source that story, even if you have more to say about it as originally written by as originally broken by. See, I just know that when I get things wrong, people like to to beat the shit out of me about it. Yeah, that's yeah, totally yeah. I, I, I put myself out there, so it's. That's fine, but this one was taken from me, and uh, I was only happy to see on Push Square and some other websites people with comments saying, oh, this is not news. This is not news, but so like I said, at the very beginning, everyone's like, Colin, why are you going on in this diatribe? You sound so salty. Did I not say at the beginning that I was, in fact, moderately salty about it? Yeah, I would be salty about it. So I just wanted to put that out there. Guys, it's being reported that PlayStation won't be at Gamescom. And uh, Alex Cunningham wrote in long lost brother of Richie Cunningham says, my right honorable gentleman with the news confirmed that Sony will not be attending Gamescom, a surprise to nobody, a lack of gameplay trailers for upcoming first party titles like God of War and The Last of Us Part One and generally a quiet front on the first party studios and what they are developing front. Do you think a larger scale PlayStation event is likely soon in the cards? And if so, what do you predict we'll see there? Keep up the good work and often ridiculed Brit. All right. So I wanted to bring this in at the same time, guys, that Sony is having its own event. It's important to remember in the grand scheme of things, we, we interchange Sony and PlayStation all the time. But Sony is the is its own corporation. PlayStation is actually its own subsidiary corporation that Sony owns. So Sony itself is doing an event June 28th. And this event apparently is going to be hardware focused. And apparently there will be some PlayStation stuff there, not the controller but apparently headsets and monitors. Oh, so we'll keep an eye on all of that. But apparently this is not going to be a games event. And as of the time we're recording, we have no word on if there will be a another state of play, a first or second party state of play like we thought might be coming. I wanted to present all that information before we get into it. Chris, Sony won't be at Gamescom. 
Not a huge surprise. Sony is having a hardware event, Sony proper, later this month. We don't really know very much about what's going on past The Last of Us Part 1. God of War still doesn't have a release date. And then beyond that, there are only a few games that we really know about. Spider-Man 2 and Wolverine. Mm -hmm. And then some second party games like games like Final Fantasy 16, Final Fantasy 7 Part 2. So I'm, I'm wondering, what are we expecting? The silence is becoming more and more pronounced, I think. And it's quite I, I keep saying I like how they're just pushing it because I think it just makes it more exciting. But I'm wondering where you sit this week on this. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bizarre. Like, I, I don't know what I don't know how much hardware like it's if it's a hardware focused event. Right. And apparently, like, what is it? Monitors and headsets. That's, that seems like a strange that seems like a space that's ripe for a surprise. You know, I don't want to get like too, you know, uh, conspiratorial or anything, but like that seems like a perfect place to kind of drop something shocking and surprising. Not games wise, obviously, but like I think hardware wise, I think I think it, it could be a cool opportunity to maybe show off PSVR too. I think it could be a, a, a neat idea to maybe like get in with like if that pro controller isn't there, that that's a weird missed opportunity. But the fact that there isn't a proper state of play slated at all for anytime soon is a little bit worrying. Uh, not necessarily from like a, oh, I wonder what's going on standpoint, but definitely just from a, hey, you've been silent for a bit long uh, and everybody's kind of speaking right now. This is kind of the time to speak. Maybe they're waiting for things to die down a little bit, but without E3, and this is kind of the problem. This is this is why I liked E3 is like it was a very specific time. You know, you had like a couple days in June and that was it. It wasn't like this whole now the whole summer is just a, f a full of just random shit and you're going to have to like guess which ones are going to be worth your time or not. Uh, so I feel like it's not going to really die down until probably early August. You're probably going to have a bunch of weird presentations for a while. So to me, you know, I would want to if I was trying to separate myself from that chat, maybe I'd go maybe I'd go later. But I certainly would say that at least, you know, I would certainly announce something for later, at least uh, just to get the ball rolling, especially because God of War has been in the news cycle constantly in this uh, in this not exactly unflattering way, but not particularly positive way of just like wondering where the hell this game is, wondering how far along it is, wondering whether or not it's been delayed or not. I think some clarity would be good. Yeah, I agree. And um, I'm wondering, I'm just wondering what's kind of going on here. I, I just feel like it's uh, it's a little strange that th they're being so quiet about that specific game. I don't so much mind the future stuff, but they're really keeping it close to the chest. I want to point out, though, as far as Gamescom is concerned, that we have to remember a lot of developers are in complete turmoil right now not, not I don't that's that's too strong a word everything's kind of roiled right now right with with the pandemic and working from home and kind of getting everyone back together and getting these games out the last thing any of these studios have the time for is to make a demo and then send it to Gamescom <laughs> that, yeah. that I can promise you they have no interest any of these studios in and Sony wisely is not going to go to their first and second party teams and be like I need you guys all to stop for three weeks Let's get this vertical slice and polish this bad boy up and send it to Gamescom. It's just not that important anymore. And I think Sony is looking at this, though the silence is frustrating, Dustin, and saying, we don't really need to do anything. We're still selling all these games and all these consoles. We what? Why would we do more than we have to do? And I think it's a reasonable question. So the Gamescom thing doesn't surprise me so much. 
as the silence around God of War, which I think is still like I, I believe it's going to come out this year. I, I do. But I, I feel like there is worry that maybe internally, maybe up until this point, maybe until recently where it might not have made it. Right. So, Colin, you I wanted to bring up this hardware event because in the in the doc, you wrote probably nothing interesting. But I think that there could be some interesting tips on what we can expect in the future from Sony. So specifically, the biggest leak uh, about this event is from Tom Henderson, and he wrote up an article on Exputer.com that's about, like, there's three different types of headsets, whatever. The headsets aren't that exciting to me. The monitors are more interesting just in that they're branding these with exclusive features for PlayStation. At least that's what this article says. And so... Uh, he writes, according to my sources, one of these monitors will be for 4K gaming at 144 hertz, whereas the others will be full HD at 240 hertz. Both devices will be described as being, quote, perfect for PS5 and have VRR and a bunch of other features. Um, they also have like gaming assist features where you can like put the FPS counter and stuff like that. So why would Sony be interested in making monitors that are pro level like 240 hertz there's i don't think playstation can even support that right now and so i mean that ties into that ties into um what tom says about a ps5 pro and all the rest right well. but i'm wondering i think more so in that these monitors are a a product for sony's new emphasis on esports and evo where even if a game is being is not being played on PlayStation, that it, they can at least have all of their monitors be up on screen. And or maybe I mean, maybe this is a look at Sony implementing new features into PlayStation in order to make it a, a device that theoretically could be more appealing to esports and pro players, even though I don't think it will work. But some like 240 hertz at 1080p, that's that would be kind of an, an interesting feature for uh, Call of Duty players or you know something like that so and the other thing too with these monitors is just that PlayStation still doesn't have 1440p support but it's they said it was coming so maybe that's in the cards as well I'm just wondering even though the hardware is kind of feels outside the bubble in some ways of PlayStation that maybe this hardware could be looking towards a more esports focused Sony and who knows maybe that involves this esports or this fps game that's being developed at gorilla whether that's socom or or something else but mm -hmm. clearly they're very interested in that space yeah interesting in insight there i i feel like there there's a third component to this yeah because we've talked about you know the the what chris had to say and what you had to say and i think there's just one third thing i want to bring in here which is this weird i don't know if it's a game of telephone or what's happening between some of these kind of well-known or becoming well-known leakers and insiders. But I don't know if you saw it, Dustin, there was like some indication that Sony is making a handheld. Did I you, saw that. Did you see this? Mm -hmm. And, and I, with an image, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't even know what I can, what I really should say. Like I've heard, I've heard things get R&D'd all the time. And this was years ago after Vita was released or whatever that they, you know, they were interested in another Vita thing. And then things got cracked. Like, we know, 2016, I think, was the the uh, the year that everything changed for Vita, because that was when Vita basically became irreparably hacked and in a way that they just couldn't kind of keep up with anymore. And so they were trying to just shut it down as a vector, as we've said in the past of attack and all of that. But what did you think of that? 
Dustin. It's it's yeah. it's basically like an inclination that that they might be making something. Someone points to like a. Is that a Steam Deck running PlayStation? I mean, the image of it or whatever. No, that's not a Steam Deck. I'm I don't have the image. Like, handy. What is that? What is that image? Right. That's the question is that it's running PlayStation 4. It looks like on the screen. I thought uh, can you. So do you have the image up? Can you put it in the chat just so I can see it? Yeah, again? I'm, I'm I saw it to, earlier this morning, but the yeah, so I'll get it. there's a lot of theories about what Sony could do with a handheld now because it's clear that yeah, here it is. the market, at least in terms of Nintendo Switch and both Steam Deck, is that people like this hybrid nature. Now, Steam Deck isn't necessarily a hybrid, but the idea is that you buy games on Steam and you can play them on your PC and then your saves are in the cloud and you can then play them on your deck. So it's like this hybrid style approach. And so, uh, oh yeah, this image here, that I think that UI. Like what is that? That's actually that UI that is is PS5, PS5 so UI. What, yeah, yeah. So what? It, what is that? I, there what was a, that? there was a couple of people that were trying to like chime in and be like, oh, this is this render, and it's like, no, it's not. But no one usually when things like this happen, a follow up tweet will be like, oh, this is this fan render or whatever, and no one that I can tell has done that. Well, because so, all right, so just to kind of clue everyone in on what the fuck we're talking about, yeah. A guy named Zone of Tech, I don't I don't know who that is, tweeted out an image saying stay tuned with the eyeball emoji thing, you know, and then there's a picture of what seems to be a corner of what potentially could be some sort of playable. I don't know, switch like PS5, I guess it could just be a render then. But then what's interesting about it is that someone tweets and asks the snitch insider WTF, who is the guy who's leaking everything recently, who I think has given himself up as being German, by the way. In some mm. of the stuff he's been sharing. I don't know if he was intentionally doing that or not. That's why when people were like, it says he lives in Miami. I'm like, no, he doesn't. He doesn't speak. He's not typing like he's a native English speaker. But he says in response to the inquiry, if this is real, he says Sony showcase won't show anything related to that. Yeah. I, and I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to get too deep into the weeds, but what the fuck is that? I, I just don't know what that is. And it just seems to me impossible that they could have. Look how big the PS5 is. Well, yeah. like what? What is this? It would, you know, I, we're going to talk about a slim PS5 in a little while, but mm -hmm. I just, I don't know. I, 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 I just, I'm, I'm surprised. Like you said, that this hasn't been, and maybe it has been some corner I haven't seen yet of someone saying like, "What is? Uh, this is fake, or this is this, or this is that." Doesn't you? Right. More well, I mean, there's possibilities that maybe so. If it plays PS5 games, maybe it's streaming PS5 games to the device. And that's kind of the angle that it's going for. Maybe it would be interesting to see Sony do something that's like, OK, developers, if your game can run on this lower grade hardware, then you can verify it for whatever this PlayStation portable device is. And so you can kind of have that cross save hybrid nature that you would get from a, a deck or a. Uh, uh, switch or something like that. I don't know. I'm I'm looking at this actual. I found the direct tweet of this zone of tech guy, and I'm trying to find any other info from it. But I don't know. It's very very intriguing. Um, like we said before, there's something with handhelds right now. The Steam Deck just continually is impressing more people. People are desperate to get their hands on them they're very very hard to get because valve is just shipping them out as quickly as they can but there's so many pre-ordered that it would be 
crazy to ignore this space completely. And it's like, I know they have their VR vertical, but maybe there's something that they can do that's somewhere in the middle, like a streaming thing that plays um, lower tier or lower whatever games that don't require as much processing. Mm. Understand that if they make a portable PlayStation again, I'm going to I'm going to shit my pants <laughs> like the, straight up. Right across I, 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 I play Vita all the time and I want that back again. The Steam Deck is uh, you brought yours to my house, so I got to like hold it and, and mess with it. And it's it's too big, but I feel the same way about Switch. I'm playing Switch recently and I'll get I'll get into what I'm playing in a little while. But I was playing it first handheld. I'm like, God, this is so cumbersome. And so I see this render. Could it be real? I, I probably not. But just seeing that that form factor, I'm like, eh, maybe that's a little bit of a turnoff. What, what, what are you supposed to do? You know, I mean, these these things need need their components and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to reverse image search this on Google. Surely someone's already done this. But uh, I've reached out to a, a friend of mine, too, that might know more to see what he has to say about it, too. Oh, uh, so I'll keep an eye out to see if he responds. All right, let's move on. A Plague Tale. Requiem, the sequel to A Plague Tale, has a release date. Uh, let's see here. Yes, there it is. October 18th. Nice, nice. That's Chris, I was curious what you thought about this. Uh, you liked you liked Plague Tale, right? Yeah, I really. Yeah, it? I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. More than I thought I would, because I'm not usually into those uh, very narrative heavy games. But I was pleasantly surprised that it was just a very. It's a stealth game that like plays with light and shadow, and it's like just a very neat. It was just like a genuinely neat game to play. I thought it was like paced exceptionally well, just the way that it weaved different game mechanics into each other. Uh, it was pretty, pretty damn enjoyable for a for a game from a studio that I was just uh, relatively unfamiliar with. So I'm definitely looking forward to this. I think October is like a perfect time for a game like this, just purely because of like the aesthetic and the and the style. I think it fits with that gothic kind of like ooh Halloween's coming up uh, kind of feel. So. That's exciting. I'm looking forward to it. It's nice to have. Uh, yeah, it's nice to have a release date that doesn't feel like it's going to be pushed. <laughs> like I believe this. You know, I don't feel like it's one of sure. those things where it's like, oh, just kidding. We'll see you in 2023 because the rats don't look quite right. You know, it's it's. I believe that release date. Yeah, it's 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 the time to release it. Of course, a Playtale Innocence came to PS4 in 2019. I think it was ported to PS5 in 2021 mm -hmm. focus home interactive which is now known as focus entertainment is the publisher um and you had said you'd never heard of a sobo a sobo no one would have really known much about a sobo they were a, a licensed team out of france they did some support work and a playtale was really the first game of any consequence they did although they were founded um a long time ago like 20 years ago so yeah they finally made it and we'll be interested in seeing that. Dustin, do you have any anything to add to about this? No, I'm looking forward to it. I I think that the first one was very good, had some issues, and so it's like the perfect opportunity for like a sequel yeah. glow up for a game that was already really good. Asobo, yeah. they're they're just a, a weird team to me that they um uh do Microsoft Flight Simulator and this. It's like two very different things. It's, yeah. it's neat. Yeah, it's it's such a wide disparity between those two genres it's lunacy yeah. oh yeah i guess that is true that they, they should deserve credit for that because they weren't always the, the team that did that but i think it was only this one right that yeah they, i think yeah, so they took over. i don't think they did previous ones it's funny man i i, I watch uh i watch uh lgr i like that guy lgr Dude, that guy's awesome and um yeah he he's always going into that some of these 
I don't know anything about PC gaming really compared to most people that are in the space. And I like some of the flight sim stuff he's done and some other people have done because it's such a cool game. It's just I, I just can't do it. It's yeah, just it's, it's very specific. Yeah, you know, it's very cool and it's very well done, but it's also like I can't. They, they almost kind of got me with that that Pelican where I was like, oh, you could fly a Pelican. Oh, yeah, but that was cool. I still didn't. It was. Just, I, I think I looked at the download file. and It's like two million gigs. And I'm like, ah, that's OK. <laughs> that's OK. I'll see you later, maybe. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. All right. I want to know what you guys think of this next one. This just broke right before we started recording. Yeah. But there's a new studio that's formed called Lithos. But they're making a game called Ashfall. It's a Web3 game that will include NFTs. And here's where it gets fucking weird, in my opinion. It's a collaboration between John Garvin and Michael Mumbauer. Now... John Garvin's probably a more familiar name to most people. John Garvin is what was one of the big people at Sony Ben for a long time. The writer and creator of uh, games like Siphon Filter. And he left right after Days Gone came out under bad circumstances. There was basically a power struggle at Ben Studio. We go into it on Sacred Symbols Plus with Jeff Ross about the struggle. I think Christopher Reese, Christopher Reese's uh, was the was no. the guy that I think won out. So. John Garvin's kind of been a free agent for a couple of years. Michael Mumbauer. People might know Michael Mumbauer. You might know that name if you watch, if you see a lot of credits. He was the head of Sony's visual arts group for quite a while. And this is kind of like an, an, an internal team. This is kind of part of the team that was that was uh, rumored to be working on that Uncharted game and was originally doing The Last of Us remake before Naughty Dog took it back and all of that. So apparently he's left. They've created this new studio called the lithos it's l-i-i-t-h-o-s if you guys want to check it out they're making a game called ashfall i think it's kind of funny i'm looking at venture beat they have a story about it others do as well they have some screenshots and well not screenshots development concept art i'm like oh my god this is do you see the image so of them gen- yeah and then there's like there's I images of the them and it's fun <laughs> yeah they're 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 funny yeah here i'll uh it, it, well people can can look at it if they want there's like these great you know these very professional photos of them being taken but I don't know. They I look I chase a bit the money extra. Do what you these photos. Dude, it, it's a bit much. Yeah, they yeah. are. Def, they they definitely are. And I love John Garvin. So seeing him like in that picture is is so interesting. I, I we'll get him on. I'm gonna write this down actually. I'll see if I'll reach out to him again. See if he wants to talk. Last time I spoke to him, he didn't want to uh, talk because he was in the middle of doing something. I guess this was it. However, the more interesting thing is, uh, and I don't know if you guys saw this, is that Michael Mumbauer had actually an interstitial period 
and I don't think I realized this, where he had already left Sony and went to That's No Moon. Do you, do you remember that? We were making fun of that yeah. studio's name. I'm like, Jesus Christ. And so he founded that studio, apparently, and then left. So not a good sign for them. <laughs> Very similar to what happened with Haven. Remember when one of the guys that founded Haven just left like six months or a year in before the Sony acquisition. So he missed all that money. So anyway, I wanted to just throw that out there that there's like a, a series of people kind of coming together to make this. Tr- and they're calling it, quote unquote, a true Web3 triple A title. It will debut on PC consoles and um, something called the Hedera or Hedera Network, which is a blockchain like technology. So, yeah, strange times. Dustin, let's go to you first. What do you think? Web3 game with John Garvin writing and I guess helping to produce the, the world and the characters, the lore, which he's great at. But this game, Ashfall, it, it looks cool. There's no doubt. This looks like Resistance, actually, kind of like maybe Resistance meets Killzone. If you look at the at the uh, palette, the color palette with the oranges and such. Yeah, there's this shot of the guy like walking through with his cape on, walking with the mountain in the background or the volcano in the background. It looks like Killzone to me. That looks like Destiny concept art, like straight up. Like that yeah. looks like a hunter from Destiny. Like I, maybe it's just oh, yeah, the, yeah, with the-, the hood, but. So here's the the main thing that I'm yeah. just shocked by in this is that we've seen the uh, quote unquote rise and already fall of NFTs, if they you even want to call it a rise, like that that whole, at least to me, from my impression of seeing people talk about it online, it's like it kind of seems like the jig is up, like people are are not into this idea outside of there's some whales that have bought them and then either lost all their money or it's been stolen or something like that. And so to come out in June of 2022 and say you're in a new studio making an NFT project is bold because instantly I, there was like negative reaction. Our own discord was like, what the fuck? What are you thinking doing this? And so it's one of those things where I feel like any developer that is announcing NFT stuff right now, first of all, it's like, man, they surely they know the pushback. But the only thing that I can think is that maybe in their heads, they're thinking, well, we're going to be the ones to get it right. Or we're the ones that are going to change people, change people's minds. And it's like, you're just starting development on this game. Like when, when will the NFTs be taken out in the next year and a half, two years? Like at some point, it's probably going to happen just because if it's still there at launch, I mean, I don't know, maybe in the next two years, something will change and magically everyone's suddenly like, yeah, I want to buy digital goods, um, like J- JPEGs or whatever. And suddenly that makes sense in their mind. I just don't really see that happening. So bold move. Maybe there's something I don't understand about it, but uh, I'm willing to give them a chance and see what they'll do. But I'm personally not interested in any nft related aspect of it i couldn't agree more and i'll just say that i've softened on crypto over the years over the last couple of years perhaps sure. people that listen to fireside chats my old podcast back in the day will remember i did a whole show with someone at a at a firm called the library lbry that was like way into blockchain stuff and he was trying to explain it to me and I didn't really get it and I still don't really get it entirely. However, what I will say is that while it's Bitcoin and all these things I don't think are the future, I think something like that has more conceivable use and utility. And what convinced me strangely of this was when Canada started freezing people's bank accounts. 
as weird as it is when during the trucker protests that happened, I think that was last year when they started just going after people by freezing their bank accounts. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. And that was when my mind opened to this idea of decentralized currency. NFTs to me seem like just nonsensical, like you don't. No matter how you spin it or explain it, you're never going to convince me that is valuable. I just commissioned a, a painting and I just got it a second painting from one of my favorite band, bands, Dredge. Their bassist is a painter, like a fine painter. Yeah. And um, I I commissioned a couple of paintings from him and it's surrealist art and it's on a canvas and he signed it and it's hanging on my wall and he took a picture of it uh, and he's selling prints of it. And that's totally fine. I don't care. He told me he was going to do that. I'm totally fine with it. I own the original and the original is a physical thing that he painted, not a digital artifact. So that's my my problem with NFTs and why I think I've tried in my mind to be as fair as possible to segment the idea of crypto technology, blockchain technology and the use of that and trying to really wrap my mind around it. And I'm still really not smart enough to get it entirely with this predatory bullshit that your ape, your ape JPEG is worth money and every <laughs> Every new I'm sure every new technology brings with it things that just fall to the wayside. I don't know anything about cars, for instance, but I'm sure early cars in the 1910s, 1920s had weird shit and weird things that they're like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. And they just get rid of them. Right. And then the car is just the car and it just putters along. And and you don't need to worry about that anymore. NFTs feel like that, like a barnacle on an otherwise maybe novel idea. So, Chris, what do you think about this idea of John Garvin going to. Um, or co-founding the studio with Michael Mumbauer and creating this generic looking game. Now, again, I don't again, generic is a strong word because I would play that game the way it looks. If that was like a first person shooter or something, or if you told me that was resistance or kill zone, I'd be like, I'm in. Yeah. But God almighty. It's totally derivative. I mean, I don't know. So the only thing that's going to differentiate you is this thing that no one wants. And that's that's troubling. Right. Yeah. I mean, especially considering we don't really have uh, any idea of what this gameplay actually is going to be or what it looks like because it's so fucking early. Uh, but I, I thought the same thing that Dustin thought, whereas like I looked at that, I was like, this looks like Destiny. <laughs> like this looks exactly like that. even even some of the shots that have nothing to do like that don't have characters in them. Like there's this uh, kind of um, there's this screenshot of like uh, it, it says it's underneath in the, in the venture beat thing it says i ash falls post-apocalyptic world and i'm looking at it and it's a bunch of it's a bunch of planes crashed in an open field and it's like this is literally the moth yards in old russia in yeah. destiny one like it's literally it's, it, yeah it's it's literally the cosmodrome <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like wow this is so weird to see but i mean if that's what they're doing that's what they're doing i i don't think the nft aspect of it excites me at all i would not be surprised like justin said to see that that aspect of the project completely shuttered and thrown out uh just to make a you know the game a lot more approachable to the overwhelming majority of people who probably would play the game otherwise but i i i'm with you in the sense that i just don't really understand nft i, I think the best way that i can understand nfts is that we kind of already unanimously agree that money has arbitrary value right you know and so maybe this is just an example of not everybody, but a sizable enough portion of people agreeing that a JPEG has value, that they're willing to pay for that money. doesn't mean it actually has value, but at the same time, you could argue that about money also. So I guess that's as 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 that's as much sense as I can make out of it. I'm still not going to pay like two grand or anything more or less for a JPEG, you know, uh, that's never going to happen. But 
I, I think I'm still confused as to what this means for the application of games. You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand how... Because our understanding of NFTs may be limited because it's just the most ridiculous shit that we see. Uh, because it's the easiest stuff to clown on. It's the stuff that trends on social media. Oh, somebody bought Dune for $3 million and it was just the book. And they thought they had the rights to That's it. That's still one of the great stories. Yeah. Of all. I mean, I'll never get over how funny that is. No, it's amazing. So good. It's an amazing. We're going to make derivative works of Dune. Yeah, so stupid. <laughs> it wasn't, but to be fair, it was an art book. It was like a, a treatment book for a film. It wasn't for a, a whatever Frank Herbert's novel. No, I mean, but you still. <laughs> like, that's still yeah. insane. It's but still like, insane. But I, I just, I guess I don't know how that translates to a video game like what the, what that means for video games in any real meaningful way it's like maybe like you own a skin that nobody has but like that's exactly what it is and i, I but I, here's the thing chris is i mean that's i think what they're doing and to me i'm like okay but that's not valuable like just because you can do that doesn't mean that your socom fucking skin has value yeah and that, that's that's the weird thing it's cool that it's yours maybe you can sell it but I think what the problem is, is that they're not starting from the bottom, right? They're saying, like, look at this is going to be valuable and really important instead of saying, like, we're going to have this this kind of marinating system of guns and skins and all the stuff that you own and claim. And then maybe they'll be valuable if you guys if the market conceives that they're valuable. But it takes time. I mean, because you had brought up fiat or not fiat money, but just money as exchange that took thousands of years for that to happen, like from the representation to convince someone like this, this, this seashell. This gold coin, it represents the bushel. Do you get it? And you know how long it took for people to fucking <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> to it's, gleam it's, onto that. Capitalism it's, itself is like is 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 new. It, it it's yeah. It's, so I mean, it's just it's just so silly. It's like going to the twenty fifth step. Yeah, you know, it's it's going to be a hard sell for the overwhelming majority of people, and because it's going to be a hard sell for the majority of people, I just don't see it working really ever. I, I feel like I feel like this is a fool's errand right now to try and get NFTs really because there's also the aspect of like okay let's say there's one skin in the world right and you have that one skin do you know how many skins you have to make in a game to make that worth it do you understand how many permutations of different skins you're going to have to make do you understand how much dev time you understand how limited your ability to make i mean the reason they can print so much money is because every every piece of money looks the same like a dollar is a dollar, you know, it doesn't need to be a unique dollar. Your dollar doesn't have value because it's unique. It has value because it's the exact same dollar that everybody else has. So the idea that like, oh, I have this unique skin, you're going to need billions of unique skins for any of those individual skins to have any fragment of value. It is such a weird concept. Right, And then. And and then you what you're saying is perfect. It leads right into this this notion, like I was saying of the painting, the physical painting. How are they going to solve that problem, Chris? AI, just like they just like they solve that problem with uprising with AI right now and doing all the things they did at Grand Theft Auto with AI. Oh and, sure, and yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm all, so so they're going to use AI. So that's the thing is that I had a guy paint, right? And then they're going to say this thing that an AI made that's digital has value yeah. and this is where the fifth sixth seventh steps they don't make sense that's why getting to the 25th step it's like well you're never gonna get there well it's like so, the, well it's like that ai bot that's been circulating on twitter lately that's been like uh oh, it's so uh, good it's really cool because you could be like oh george Costan uh, or like you could be like a, a crash bandicoot guest starring on seinfeld and it just like <laughs> and it paints all these scenarios that looks pretty close 
to what what you're trying to and that's cool but at the same time it's like you can't just type in cool skin you know in in an algorithm and have it like like even if you leave a lot of that development work of like oh different skins even if you leave all that or color palette swaps even if you leave that work to an ai that kind of does it overnight there's gonna be like what maybe like five percent of those maybe less that are going to be appealing to the human eye sure you know or or like marketable at all it's it's a it's very dumb I, I wouldn't say it's bold to announce an NFT project now. I, I would say it's just straight up ignorant. Like, I don't I don't know what you're doing. You're going to cut these midway through. You know you're going to cut these midway through. And then you're going to wind up with a game that has no unique aspects to it. <laughs> I don't I don't know. This looks like Destiny. Like, I'm sorry. Like, it, I've played Destiny long enough to know that this this is Destiny concept art, basically. It even what's funny is that it takes place in Seattle, which is isn't that where Bungie, That's where Bungie is? is? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you can just tell from all the you know the, the Sky Needle and, yeah, um, and the, the what is that volcano. Mount St Helen or whatever they I don't know what the hell that that mountain is. No, Mount Rainier. I think that's what it is. Uh, so it's here's where here's how I'll exit. I was trying to think about this last night when I was dicking around. Like, what is this like? And people hate microtransactions, right? The the, the rage right now is how much money. That Diablo game is making and that's totally fine. This is the equivalent of making a microtransaction game. It's no different than the the impetus of your project being, well, we're going to sell it with microtransactions. OK, so here's the game. This is the same. And if you dislike one, then I don't really know why you dislike the other, except for this fleeting notion that you what you have is valuable. But I'll just repeat it. The painting on the wall that I have is valuable. The print of the painting isn't. The fact that I can just facsimile your shit makes it not valuable. And if I tried to make a facsimile of a dollar bill, I'd be thrown in jail. Maybe I'll try, though. <laughs> OK, a couple of PlayStation Plus related things randomly last night. In fact, I saw this on our discord. Come join us on discord if you're a five dollar a patron, almost five thousand of you there, I think now. And we or not we, someone posted that, whoa, Super Stardust Portable randomly appeared on PSN. I was like, really? So I stopped what I was doing and went and looked, and there it was. The 2008 port for PlayStation Portable of the 2007 Housemark game, Super Stardust HD, is now available, but you cannot buy it a la carte. It's only available for PS Plus Premium, and that disappointed me because I went to try to buy it a la carte. It's unclear if it has trophies as well. The trophies are not on PSN profiles yet, but the game just popped up and they might not have published them. It might not even be haven't been intended to be released as of yet, but it's appeared. And I thought something even more interesting happened that I wanted to bring it to attention. PlayStation Europe tweeted out the following. We're planning to roll out NS, uh, NTSC options for a majority of classic games offered on the PlayStation Plus premium and deluxe plan in Asia, Europe, Middle East, India, South Africa, Australia and New Zealand regions. So there we go. Dustin. Can can Chris and I? What take do you credit think? I mean, this? how many? Are there, are, 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 I'm sorry. I was gonna say, can can Chris and I take at least a little bit of credit for this? Maybe you can, but I, I sure you can, but definitely take a little bit of credit Just, for it. But also, I would fake. I was suggesting the other thing, which is that it's you almost have to have to kiss his ring again, don't you? I mean. He's just he's playing. He's laying it on pretty thick now. I know. Well, uh, I don't know. Is this what we got to do in order to get Sony to not do the bare minimum? Is make these you know ridiculous claims and stuff like this i don't know jim are you listening what's going on here i mean we can work something out uh if we if we need to uh some different exchange of favors or whatever whatever that may be 
Uh, I'm not opposed to it, but um, we got to get that Tomba on the service first before I'm willing to negotiate. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Things are looking pretty good. Yeah. With uh, PlayStation Plus. I. It's funny. I really don't want it. But if they continue to do shit like this, then I'm going to have no choice but to get it because PlayStation Portable or I'm sorry, Stardust Portable is a nice little weekend game. I'm not going to play without trophies or you played it without trophies. I need to play without trophies again. Yeah. So there it is. And and anything to add, uh, Chris, before we move on from NTSC? Oh, I'll say, well, I'm just going to go ahead and said that uh, we we did this. Okay, we, we did good. this. That's fine. You I'm can glad thank, I got back up. You, 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 yeah, you can thank us for this because I don't think I saw anybody else really caring. I, I, I know Digital Foundry did, but like, I mean, like, what? So what? They're kind of big or somewhat big deal. And we did it. We did it. It's, it's, I did it, in fact. Me, exclusively. Well, hey. Sorry. Wow. Cutting, <laughs> cutting Dustin out. That's I, like fine. This. I had to. I had to kiss Jim Ryan's ring. I had to apologize on the show. And now you're going to take you credit. Put, I don't know if your, I accept you, this. You set yourself up for that, though. Like, you didn't have to do that. I did. I did set myself up. But Chris, I don't know. I mean, United Front here, man. I don't appreciate it. <laughs> All right. I wanted to bring this video to people's attention. It comes from DIY Perks on YouTube. Do it yourself oh, yeah. perks. Building the world's first PlayStation 5 Slim. I don't know if you guys watched this. It's I did. Half an hour. Uh, yeah, Chris, talk to me about this. This is pretty cool. This guy basically created a custom PS5 that fits in a case that is like an inch thick. Yeah, and it actually works. Yeah. So what what do you make of this? This is pretty cool. Yeah. And I think uh, at the end of it, he actually he actually talks about how it actually runs cooler than um, than the original PS5 design. Like everything's a lot colder in in his slim design, which is kind of interesting. I think it's because it uses water cooling um, as opposed to the PS5, which I don't believe uses water cooling. I'm pretty sure it doesn't. No, um, they use the yeah. liquid metal. Yeah. 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 Fan. Yeah. But. I thought it was awesome. Like, I love these projects when people take things apart. And like, I, I was watching one a couple months ago of somebody taking their PS5 and making it look like an Atari, like like making it like kind of like a, like a 70s, like wood finish type of like a like machine that you would see in an arcade cabinet or like a like a television unit in the 70s. And I thought it's like, this is so cool. I, I like I wish I could do that stuff. But I think it's this video was interesting to me purely because it showed how easy these things are to fuck up, because at some point in the video, he just kills the motherboard entirely because he didn't ventilate it right. And he had to take apart like a some sponsored PS5 that he was given and he just sacrificed it, took the motherboard out. But it's like these are it's not super complicated to take these things apart, but it is, you know, it's not without its risks. So, you know, don't try that at home unless you're unless you've got like 10 PS5s spare. But I thought this was awesome. Like, I thought it was really cool. I, I still think we're... Yeah. I, I still don't think the methodology of getting it all into that case was entirely sound. Like, I'm pretty sure he showed, like, the back of it and how, like, it's it's got all these, like, copper coils, like, coming out yeah, of it. Yeah, like, There's so an external like, total, unit that yeah, has, like, server-grade fans on it. Yeah, so, so. The, the PS5 Slim that we're going to get is likely <laughs> much bigger than this this thing. But uh, it's cool to see what what people can get away with. Um, just as long as they can kind of rig things in a certain way, because that is impressive to get it running in that small. What is it like an inch max? Yeah, it's an inch thick, but with a massive, like you said, a massive power unit, which is I hate power bricks. There's like the worst thing about laptops and all the rest and how they've slowly gotten those smaller, yeah, yeah, which yeah, I appreciate. Yeah. The 360 but, had a had a rough one. Oh, yeah. 
It had its own light on it, as yeah. I remember, right? Yeah, it, would it had its own like green light. I remember that. Yeah. yeah, and if it was red, you were fucked. <laughs> Dustin, do you have anything to add before we move on? I love DIY projects like this. I know I saw someone else that some people like did entirely new cases that weren't like super slim, but I saw someone that made like a wooden case that actually it almost looked like a retro like seventies yeah. PS Five. That was pretty cool. So I love seeing stuff like this. That's the uh, one that I saw. I think. Oh, nice. Yeah. So. Dude, DIY, like, modders are insane. I saw a guy the other day that made a handheld virtual boy uh, just because it was, like, a challenge, like, because it would be fun. Uh, it was a really interesting video. I, I love watching stuff like this. Okay. Let's see. Oh, I just wanted to bring this up really quick. Uncharted, the film. Tom Holland. Marky Mark. Coming to Netflix. July 15th, if you're interested. Is anyone, anyone interested in watching it again? I'm not... Mm. I don't really watch movies again, typically, but I've kind of I've, I was pretty warm on this movie when we watched it. And I don't hate I don't hate this movie at all. Like I, I really don't. I don't know. I just the, the more the more it's like it. Res- That's why I'm kind of like high on this Gran Turismo idea. I'm like, OK, yeah, yeah. I, why not? I, I might put it on in the background while I do other stuff because it is kind of like a good it is kind of good. Nothing nothingness kind of you know like i'm not really that interested in what the fuck's happening it, it doesn't really matter it's suitably entertaining i wasn't on the spoiler cast for it uh because i i don't even remember what the fuck happened i think i literally slept through the uncharted movie <laughs> but i think it's one of those uh it's one of those movies that i could see being good for just like background stuff you know especially because i've seen it already I tend to only do that, actually. It's, it's funny that Colin says he never watches movies again because that's almost exclusively what I do. I almost never see new movies unless I'm, like, dragged out to see them because I'm just like, ah, I've, I'm just going to watch, you know, Evil Dead 2 or Spider-Man 2 again or put on every episode of Seinfeld in immediate succession because I've seen it a million times and I don't have to pay attention. But uh, I'm curious about how I'll feel about it on a second watch because I, I remember coming out of it being like, yeah, it's about what I expected. It's, you know, it's suitably fine. I don't believe Tom Holland as Nathan Drake at all, but whatever. <laughs> I felt I felt very whatever about it, you know, and I have a feeling it's probably just going to stay the same if I see it again. I wanted to bring this up really quick. Crisis Core. We talked about it last week. The PSP game 2007 or 2008, depending on where you live in the world. Well liked PSP classic. Uh, or uh, Final Fantasy 7 prequel about Zack. And we were talking about how it's kind of a port. It looks up But guys, it looks fucking good, like really good. And I don't know if you guys watched this trailer that I put in, but it's. Maybe a remake kind of. And I was curious about actually, I you know, I really should have used this here, but I'm just going to go up to the. To the end, we usually have six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience. One of these will make sense right now. Gundelman wrote in and said, hey, guys, I think we need to settle this once and for all. What are the exact definitive differences between a remaster, a remake, a reimagining, and a remix? Imagine you're writing an entry to the PlayStation Gaming Thesaurus. What would you classify The Last of Us Part 1? We can get to that, but I'm kind of wondering what the fuck we would classify this. I don't know if you guys are looking at this. This doesn't seem to me to be a remaster of the game. They're calling it that. Uh, what do you think about this, Dustin? Yeah, it definitely doesn't. And I, it, I'm i glad you posted this video because it's been so long since I've seen uh, what that game actually looks like running. I think I played it. Uh, no, I don't think I played it at all on, on PSP. But uh, 
I was shocked. I was like, wow, this is definitely much, much more than a remaster. When it comes to those terms, it is, I mean, this is the problem with uh, gaming, as we've talked about many times, is that genres and terms don't really have any set definition. So, you know, the, the idea, like, I don't know, to me, a remaster involves using almost entirely the same assets, but up and improved with a better, maybe you improve some textures up the resolution or whatever, up the frame rate and call it a day. You're kind of just uh, tuning things up. But as soon as you get into like replacing character models and recreating environments, you're definitely more on the, the remake side of things. And this clearly to me looks like a remake the question is why is square defining it as a remaster maybe it's like maybe they're not changing the gameplay at all so they don't want to call it a remake like they are final fantasy 7 remake but i don't know it's it's hard to well, say it, if you go to if you go to the trailer at 454 there's a there's a side by side by side of i guess that would be eris and is that eris or is it tifa uh 454 that's Eris yeah yeah it's Eris um yeah so in the original it's it, it says you know the original and then it has the remaster the so-called remaster then it has her in Final Fantasy 7 remake you know in 4k and all that you can just see that while in the pre-rendered stuff there's no doubt that they're just uprising what's already there I think in the game the beat to beat game seems to have remade assets like you can't there's just certain things they're showing where I'm like this wouldn't look like this without and you can and, and I don't think this is like rudimentary AI uprising and making new assets and shit because what we saw what that looks like that's what happened to Grand Theft Auto yeah um, remaster where they're like just mistranslating signs and stuff like this is really good this is hand done and it brings up this question Chris which I'm, I'm curious what you think and it comes from Glendelman again what is the difference between all of these and I would say that remaster is what you're describing Dustin this idea of going in and using the original assets and making them shinier and then remaking is remaking it from the ground up. I think that's Demon Souls and all of that. Reimagining, I would look at that as like Final Fantasy VII remake. Yeah, yeah. And then remix, I don't even know if that's like a, if that's different, really, right? Like I, I just think there's a remaster, a remake, and a reimagining. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, Final Fantasy VII remake part one was a remake, but it seems like now we're in reimagining territory with Final Fantasy 7. I know a lot well, of people are talking about how this is like a sequel almost, and I'm, I don't really see it like that personally. It doesn't really make any sense compared to where we are in the story, but... Yeah. I, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, go ahead. I, I'm saying like you, you could argue that Final Fantasy 7 Remake was a, more of a reimagining than a remake. Like, it definitely did have... Obviously, it had remake aspects of it they definitely did like overhaul the original game and and make it from the ground up and do a bunch of crazy stuff but there's also story beats that are in different places you know i, I think uh i think i remember talking to a friend of mine who was like oh uh, sephiroth shows up in a completely different like he doesn't show up this early or, or something like that where it's in the original and i'm like oh in interesting so they're they're actually fucking with the story and and even by the end of final fantasy 7 remake you know you can tell that they're going in a different direction with it which is not something that you would expect from a pure remake i i, I think remakes have a certain kind of spectrum to them. I think you can have something that is like destroy humans remake, you know, which is not called remake, but it's like very clearly like it's using the original engine on PS2. It's using like, uh, or not using the original engine, but it's using basically the original gameplay framework. It's basically using the same basic geometry. It's adding a couple new powers, maybe some cut content here and there, 
same voice acting. That's that's like that's arguably both. That's arguably like a remaster remake type situation because it's the same geometry, it's the same exact voice acting and all that stuff. But it's it's got new gameplay mechanics, it's got cut content. That's a weird space to exist in. Final Fantasy 7, which is like a reimagining. And then you got this, which is, you know, certain parts of it look like a remaster. I think I think when you're in the cutscenes, it looks like they just literally like took the assets and swapped them out for newer ones. But it's like the same animation rigs, maybe like cleaned up a little bit, same choreography, same cinematography. But then the gameplay I'm looking at it and I'm like, that looks like remake territory. And I think it's just another example of like Dustin and, and you guys were saying, it's just another example of terminology in, in the games industry not really having that much meaning like like what is what is halo 2 anniversary you know what i mean like that's a that's a remaster kind of it's using a bunch of new ads but then you could flip between them and then there's like new cutscenes entirely from the ground up well maybe that's the remix maybe i'm maybe yeah I'm maybe maybe right that now. is a remix like i don't know I, I do think we should start nailing these terms down though because i agree <laughs> i well, don't think final fantasy 7 remake it is a remake like well it's clear it's clear it's not now yeah right like not 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 at least entirely it's it's just starting from the same point and then well man not even because there's prequel stuff in right. Final Fantasy 7 but it's starting from the same subject matter and then kind of seeing where it goes like a different dice roll almost that's a good way to put it yeah yeah I think it's fair to say that I don't Final know Fantasy 7 re-roll <laughs> yeah there you go I, nice I feel like I don't know I I felt pretty like at the beginning of this conversation, like, oh, we need to create clear terms. But it's obvious now when we name some of these examples that it's like there's kind of a a gradient where, like you said, with Destroy All Humans or the Halo anniversary, it's like it's kind of sitting in both camps a little bit. And so it's kind of okay for it to be both in some ways. You know, it's like, I don't know. I think that we... We like to be able to clearly define things, but obviously that's not always the way that things work. Yeah. Remakes are uh, fluid. That's true. I guess. It is. Well, shit, we, we remade our game Super Perils of Baking, and that was, a re- I would consider that a remake. Everything's new, but it's based on all the original stuff. It, But it is kind of remixed, too, so I don't know. I don't want to talk about it anymore. It's giving me a fucking brain hemorrhage. What I do want to talk about next, though, is just a couple things with Bungie. Mm-hmm acknowledging them to be Sony properties, to be PlayStation property, although not within PlayStation Studios. Two pieces of litigious matters to get to. First, Torrent Freak reports Bungie and Destiny 2 cheat creator agree to $13.5 million copyright damages judgment. And kind of the uh, the, the top line here says game developer Bungie and elite boss tech, a creator of cheating software for the popular Destiny 2 game, have reached an agreement to end a copyright infringement lawsuit. The stipulated con- consent judgment in which elite boss tech admits thousands of violations of the DMCA's anti-circumvention provisions includes a permanent injunction and statutory damages of $13.5 million. And Bungie says in part that they basically um, part of their success hinges on the ability of players to understand that it's fair, that the game is fair and being treated fairly. And it's an interesting argument. However, they're now taking it to the next level or I guess to a new suit. And this comes from Video Games Chronicle. A Destiny YouTuber who allegedly impersonated Bungie is being sued by the studio for $7.7 million. So speaking of DMCA strikes, you'll remember that, and we talked about this back in March on the show, that there were a series, like a really 
pretty insane series of DMCA challenges for Destiny content that yeah. were issued by a party that wasn't Bungie. And we were talking at the time that Bungie was working to unmask who this was. And apparently they've been able to do that. And they filed a lawsuit. And the YouTuber is Nick Miner, a.k.a. YouTuber Lord Nazo. And it says in the story, quote, last December, the YouTube channel of Lord Nazo was issued a takedown notice after publishing music from the original soundtrack for Destiny expansion, The Taken King, which Bungie says infringed copyrights and violated its policy on fan use of intellectual property. Rather than remove the video, Miner is alleged to have left it online until YouTube deleted it in January. Bungie claims that seemingly in retaliation, Miner created fake Gmail accounts in order to pose as the studio's brand protection vendor, CSC, and send out a wave of fraudulent takedown notices targeting videos posted by members of the Destiny community. So, Chris, I'm curious what you think of this. This is a. I kind of dig Bungie's approach. Like, they're very aggressive yeah. and Nintendo like, actually, and taking care of themselves. And I'm, I'm curious what you think about them going after the, these particular people. The first one, a modder. The second one, someone kind of messing with their YouTube community, which is really important to them. Yeah. Their streaming community. As a big Bungie guy and a big Destiny player, I'm just curious if you have any comment on these. I think it's. I, I, I think it's hilarious that someone's Joker moment was them getting a, a copyright strike from Bungie. Uh, they're just like, fuck it. I'm going to I'm going to burn the whole world down. I think I think I'm of a couple minds with this where it's like, you know, I, my initial defense or, or my initial reaction to hearing, oh, big company, you know, comes down on modder. You know, that headline in and of itself has me almost intrinsically like, oh, well, I'm on the modder's side because that's kind of fucked because I like mods. You know, I, I enjoy modding my games. I, I'm, I go on Nexus mods all the time. You know, it's fun. But in this case where Bungie is making a live service game, they're, they're, the quality of that game hinges on the um, structural integrity of the online ecosystem cheaters are a fucking huge problem and they ruin the game for everybody they ruin they ruin the game for the developers they they, it's just a complete shit show it's just nobody likes those people so i'm kind of glad that they just went after this dude like I'm, i'm glad but like specifically the content creator part like the one of of this dude creating all these false dmcas that to me it is insane to me that someone would even do that you know what I mean? Like that someone would even impersonate and that and that you can, by the way, is crazy that that's such an easy. Apparently, it's like a very easy loophole that YouTube really needs to address, you know, because it's not it doesn't seem like it's as, as complicated as uh, as you would assume it would it would be to kind of take other people down for other people's content and, and basically impersonate an entire company. But yeah, I'm on Bungie's side with both of these. Like, don't fuck with people's livelihood. Just because you got a copyright strike, I get copyright strikes all the time. You know, you re-edit the video, or you you, or you find some other, or you just take the hit and like whatever. Like I've definitely done that where it's like I've used um, Ramstein music in a video that I knew it was going to get copyrighted, but like I thought like you know what I want to make this video. I think it'll be cool, so I'll take the hit because I think it'll be a good video. And that's what you do sometimes. Like if if you if it really matters that much to you, you'll put in the work to circumvent that copyright you'll put in the work to re-edit your video and you're not going to throw a hissy fit and and take other people in your own community down with you just because you have this like weird spiteful point to prove that doesn't even really prove anything if anything all this really did was 
I mean, kudos to the guy, I guess, because he highlighted a really deep flaw in YouTube system that allows people to take advantage of this. But ultimately, I I do like the way Bungie's conducting themselves. It sends a message to cheaters who should, quite frankly, be the most punished group in in uh you know what i mean like i hate the, i i they ruin everything it's not even like modders who are like oh look i put a big head mode in tekken you know it's just like straight up like oh i'm i'm just going to shoot through walls in like the competitive mode and you'll have no chance and it's going to ruin the game for you for like months so i'm all about bungie right now like props to him yeah, they're definitely creating a situation. I think. Well, I think it's important to protect yourselves in this way because they're creating a, a rhythm where it's like if you fuck around, we're, we're yeah. the, the worst case scenario that you couldn't imagine. You guys were a little young, but it's like in the early 2000s when people literally started getting sued for millions and millions and millions of dollars for downloading music and movies. And it's like you'll, you'll never think that will happen to you. And they're almost like, no, it will. It will happen to you. We're going to make an, ex- an example out of you. And I think it's good to protect your the sanctity of your game, the reliability of your game and your audience itself. So good for them. If you have a couple of in-house lawyers, you make as much money as they do. Yeah, I would have these guys fucking chasing everyone yeah. for shit that they were and doing I, wrong. And I think they're handling it way better than Nintendo because at least, you know, Nintendo is like overly litigious. You know, like they, they'll just go like, ah, oh, you made a video about Mario and you had Mario music in it. Fuck you. You know, like they're they're a bit yeah, they're much. Not. Nintendo's obnoxious. I feel like they're I feel obnoxious. like Bungie is like exactly where you should be. You're you're stern. You're strong. You you stand where you stand up where you need to stand up. But otherwise, they're totally like there's entire YouTube channels that dedicate themselves to making Destiny content and they make a living off of it. Like people like my name is Bife who just do lore shit and they use their music in it all the time and they're thriving. You know, and they support that because I think Bungie more than most developers understands the importance of you know a vibrant and. uh healthy community i think that's a lot a lot of thanks to like red versus blue in the early days but they they're they're a good company i like bungie a lot all right i'm curious what you guys think of this this has been long rumored i feel like i've known about this behind the scenes but i don't know if we've talked about it or reported on the rumor but creative assembly has long been working on a shooter we haven't seen creative assembly the british team work on anything other than strategy games since really alien isolation which is 2014 i think so they've had this new shooter going for a while behind the scenes. They finally announced it. It's called Hyenas. They released a what well, looks like a gameplay slash cinematic trailer in some respect. And I don't know. <laughs> I'm really interested to hear what you guys think of this. Dustin, let's go to you first. I just. These generic shooters, I don't understand what these different people are doing I'm not saying that hyenas is going to be good or bad. I have no idea, but it just seems like people are making the same games with the same aesthetic and it just seems boring to me. I, I feel like you're so late to this and I'm, I'm curious. I know that inf- I know I'm not infinity War. I know that uh, creative assembly is probably anxious to try to do other things, but it, I don't know. I, I, when I saw this, I was, I, I was underwhelmed. What do you think? So I have to say that I actually in one aspect liked the trailer they put out because it almost has this into the Spider-Verse feel to it. I don't know whether it's just this, the way they kind of make the frame rate choppy in a good way, not in like a gameplay way, because this is not a gameplay trailer. So I can't diss it completely, but you can tell like with a lot of these games that these characters don't look like Fortnite characters necessarily, but you can tell that there are designed that it's like, oh, be yourself, a.k.a. buy the microtransactions to customize your character to be 
whatever you want, wacky or whatever. So I don't know. The the at least interesting thing that I'm reading from uh, the Skamatsu article that you posted is that it seems like one of the main emphasis of this title is uh, you can fight in zero gravity. So pretty bold move since this is not always something that's easy to achieve and do well. And that's probably what this game will live and die by is that if this zero G fighting sucks and that's their main emphasis, then uh, it's probably DOA. But I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's probably DOA. I don't want to say it's DOA, even if it's good, because sometimes a really good game can come out and, and shock people and start to gain momentum on Twitch or something like that. But it's just like, there's so many of them that how can you survive really? It says here uh, on Engadget, quote, you join three person teams to raid spaceship shopping malls for the coveted merch left behind by Mars billionaires. You'll have to compete against four other loot seeking teams while simultaneously dealing with security systems, hired goons and zero gravity. You can not only flip gravity on and off, but use bridge making goo and other special abilities to claim the upper hand End quote. It sounds cool, but going going at. So here's the thing, Chris, and I'll be curious what you think of this. Like, that sounds like a story. If you just say remove all the other things raids spaceship shopping malls for the coveted merch left behind by mars billionaires just sounds like it could be a single player game that's an idea that's that that in and of itself is a differentiator but then when you look at it it looks generic to me so it loses that individuality what do you have any any thoughts yeah i was thinking the same thing where i was like that's a good idea for a show even (laughs) you know like uh but it's so when i was watching the trailer i was like wow i've never seen something look so different and the same at the same time because there is definitely a great way to put it (laughs) because there is definitely like a uniqueness to it there is like a there is something there that i've not seen before but at the same time it all of it is like tangentially all of it tangentially reminds me of other things like i i got i got borderlands kind of vibes from some parts of it i got i got um you know uh i got these almost bullet storm vibes from some of it too where like i'm like what what is ex- what exactly is there's this one scene too there's a lot of comedy you know quotations in in sure. a lot of these new trailers where it's like it's a shooter and like every character is like an individual and they're really cool and wacky and boy you're yeah, gonna it's have goofy and boy you're gonna have a favorite one and and it's 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 so strange because i i didn't think we would ever get here exactly but i'm at a point now where i was uh I'm saying with a, a friend of mine, Kingston, who's obviously been a, you know, he's been a big, a big part of my channel. We stream a lot on Twitch, but I'm staying at his place and in the living room, there's an Xbox and I was playing. He had Gears of War 2 installed and I was playing through it and I was like, I kind of miss the seriousness of old competitive. Like, I don't, I don't know what it is. I'm starting. I'm starting to miss that. Because everything right now feels like a color, a, like a colorful nightmare, like almost like you're it's like an acid trip that you don't want to be a part of. <laughs> and every game feels that way, even like Overwatch, fucking Battleborn, fucking this now, X Defiant, that weird, that weird. Um, oh, my God. What the hell was that? That concept art that we just saw recently about like it's, of that nice park with all the. Oh, you remember that? Oh, yeah. 
Yes, 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 yes. It's hard to keep track of all of them. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking but about. But like Fuck. everything has this like splash of color, and I, I like color. Like I, I, you know, it's what drew me to Halo for a long time. It's like I, I like Jet Set Radio, and and you know, I, I love colorful shit. But for some reason, shooters feel like they're stuck in this weird mode of like we got to be wacky. Even Apex Legends, which kind of started off a little bit more serious and a little bit more, you know, gritty. Has started has come out and I remember they had like a trailer for at like one game awards or like or like one gaming event that was like a new character is coming to Apex Legends and it's just this fucking comedian basically. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, there's no identity to anything anymore. Everything is trying to be Eric Andre almost. It's just like, aha, isn't it crazy? Subversion of expectations. And it's like, no, I want to play a game with sound mechanics that at least takes itself slightly seriously. Just well, slightly? Chris, don't, I don't, know. don't you think that it's possible? Like, to me, it just spells like I'm agreeing with everything that you're saying, but I'm thinking that the reason why is just that eventually you, if you make your game set and it's serious and it's set in a specific type of world, you eventually run out of different ways to customize your character. Oh, a million percent. And in percent. this game, it's like, we can sell a chef hat. We can sell you lobster arms. We can sell literally anything no, no, that no, you no, can yeah. think of. You, It will fit in this game's world. And so that's kind of, it seems like, I mean, from Fortnite, it's like, yeah, you can have a spatula as your pickaxe. And so anything really can go. And that's to yeah. their benefit from a monetization standpoint oh 100 percent. a lot of design is fueled by monetization plans later on down the line to see like how how drastic because you can't that's it's what i appreciate a lot about destiny actually is because destiny has had a lot of customization over the years it has a lot of it's got its own wacky stuff but all of the wacky stuff fits within the context of the universe there's like all these holograms and there's like a there's like an in lore there's an in-universe explanation there's like all of this stuff that like no skin feels out of place in destiny because it's all about like you know it it just works but in fortnite you have like oh yeah look there's zendaya and master chief and kratos and rick and morty literally fighting in a fucking in the daily bugle and it's just a it's a fucking cacophony it's a mess but that is to the strength of monetization it's like yeah well eventually you hit a ceiling of absurdity in if you ground your game in realism or if you ground your game in any kind of universe that has any kind of laws or any kind of written, you know, uh, reason behind it, it's easier to just get away with. Yeah, why not? We could put SpongeBob in this game. Because that would be a huge brand deal and it wouldn't be out of place. It wouldn't be weird in Fortnite to see SpongeBob. Putting a shotgun to, to Zendaya's face. <laughs> like that wouldn't be that wouldn't be a strange thing at all in Fortnite. But like if you saw that in Call of Duty Warzone, you'd be a little baffled, I think. So, no, you're right. I, I do think it's it's largely monetization driven. But at the same time, I, I'm starting to get really tired of, of this desperate need for every game to treat me like it's a Geico commercial. You know, like where it's like, oh, we're the only ones doing a doing silly commercials. Everyone else is trying to sell you shit. And then every other commercial tries to be funny. And then suddenly Geico doesn't matter anymore. You know, no, totally. Dude, it's such a what a wonderful point, because I say that to people sometimes it's more pronounced because I'm a little older than you. I tell people all the time. I remember there was a time when commercials weren't funny. Yeah, it was rare when a a commercial might be charming or you might smile, but they weren't trying to like be goofy and so, shit. Some of them, and that's like a product of, them were, of the 21st century. Some of them were sad. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. Remember, like, remember, remember the. Well, you guys are young for this, but I'm sure you've seen it. That this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. No, a million commercial. percent. Yeah. That's like, or the one where the kid is smoking cigarettes and his dad's yelling at him. And he's like, I learned it from you. Yeah. Like those were the commercials I fucking grew up with, trying to scold your ass. Yeah. So I, I think you're totally right. I, I think about that sometimes, where I, where I watch football and everything is funny or trying to be funny, and that's fine. But that's new. Yeah. You're absolutely right about that. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. All right. Let's see. A few other things to get through here. Overwatch 2. Some confusion about this. <laughs> Overwatch 2 launches October 4th. Speaking of games that are generic. Well, although Overwatch wasn't, it was the OG one of those games. One of the right. well, yeah, in that realm. So that's a little harsh. It's a little harsh, but it comes out October fourth, and we were a little confused, and I think everyone was because they just weren't clear about it. So they they released a uh, a statement about what's going on with this, because is Overwatch and Overwatch two are they going to sit side by side? I went and looked some stuff up, and originally what they had said about this was that they were going to sit side by side once Overwatch two came out, and then they would slowly be integrated into one. However. It seems like that's going to be happening very soon indeed. IGN reports that Aaron Keller, the director of Overwatch 2 and a Reddit AMA, said the following, quote, when Overwatch 2 launches on October 4th, it will be a replacement for the current live service. End quote. It's over for Overwatch. What does Chris? I'm sorry. You have something to say here. <laughs> Why? Why even make it a new thing, Ben? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Activision Blizzard. I mean, they did it with Destiny 2. <laughs> like, I know. Yeah, exactly. They're just You're doing right. it again, but they had to scramble at the last minute. Like, Ugh, so. yeah, it's, isn't it a shame that I, I know they really can't do this. I know there's just semantical reasons and it's really not worth it. But part of me, if I were a big Destiny fan, if I were a big Bungie fan, would be like, can we just call it Destiny again? I've oh, thought that. Oh, can, we, I, can, we, can we can we just yeah uh, do we have to call it destiny 2 like can't we just call it destiny now I've, again I've we're wa- not in activision's realm anymore i've wanted yeah. that for so long <laughs> i've wanted that for so long it's just so annoying for it to be a two when it's just not and it doesn't need to be but i don't know it's it's too late i think i think probably because activision technically owns publishing rights for destiny you know yeah, what i mean sure so they probably can't and it's call also it destiny. it's also too late pardon the pun yeah that's true all right couple more things I wanted to bring this up. I cut the the wrap up where we don't we talk about every game coming to PlayStation. I just decided to get rid of that. It just felt like we were going through the motions for that. But I promised that if I saw an interesting game that would have been in that wrap up that I wanted to bring it to your attention more vividly. And one of those games is called The Wild The Angler, which was announced recently. And I want to kind of set the stage for this. Everyone knows Avalanche, not to be confused with Avalanche software. Those are the guys that are making the Harry Potter game. What is it called? Hogwarts Legacy. Avalanche is a European studio. And they are one time known for just cause. Right. In 2009, they did a game called The Hunter. This is important. This game came only to PC, but it was a hunting game. Supposed to be like a realistic hunting game. It was followed years later 
by a 2015 game that also only came to the PC called Hunter, the Hunter Primal, which was then brought to PS4 in 2017 as Call of the Wild. I'm setting this all up because people will remember that at this time, Avalanche split into three teams. We don't talk about this very much anymore. Avalanche Studios is the team that made makes Just Cause and they made Rage 2 with Bethesda. And now they're making that game Contraband with Xbox. Expansive Worlds is this team we're working with. These are the guys that made Primal and Call of the Wild. And then there's Systemic Reaction, which made the game I wanted so badly to like, but it is so bad. Generation Zero. And they also made that 2021 game Second Extinction, which is also only on Xbox. We never got that on PlayStation. So Expansive Worlds is making a follow up to the Hunter Call of the Wild, which is considered one of the great, if not the great open world hunting game. This game is supposed to be very cerebral, very thoughtful and all the rest. And we were talking about these other games, right, guys? And we were talking about hyenas and all this hyenas official YouTube video that it's linking out to has views in the thousands. Okay, the crisis core thing I was bringing up earlier with the comparisons has something like 75,000 views. Call of the Wild, the Angler, an open world sequel to The Hunter, which is an open world fishing game. 207,000 views on their intro trailer. I don't know if it, yeah, I doubt you guys have anything to say about this. You don't have to say anything about it if you don't want to. I just wanted to bring it up. I promised you guys I would bring up games that caught my eye. Pardon the pun. This is one that caught my eye. I love the idea of an open world fishing game. I love the idea of video games being anything you can possibly think of and i love the idea of a studio dedicating itself to this shit i think it's awesome yeah so i wanted to call it out it is really cool player like, multiplayer you can go yes. out with your buds that's that's the most appealing aspect if it's like me and a few it's like yeah, we're gonna go fishing like you find a spot you go out on a boat you know maybe the boat capsizes or something like there's who knows there's, there's something so many things that could happen <laughs> there's something really sad about this though because it's like it's almost like we're it's almost like we're we're taking these experiences and digitizing them because we know we won't have them for long. <laughs> so I was it's so funny you I was thinking the same thing from the perspective of if you're a, if you're an angler, do you want to do this or do you want to go and fish? And I think it's just the same argument as like, well, I like hockey. I'm going to go play NHL though. I'm not going to fucking strap on my skates and go f- to the rink and play right now. I'm going to do this instead. So there's I just I'm fascinated by these guys. I want to know more about expansive worlds. I'm writing this down too. I'm going to see if I can reach out to them at some point and talk about their games because I like video games being anything that they can be. And I, I love uh, Avalanche's approach of splitting up their resources, realizing that they basically had three internal teams that all can focus on different things. I think it's a wise use of resources. So shout out to them. Wanted to bring that up. And a couple more things I just wanted to bring up in passing. Eurogamer has a story that people might want to check out. We've been talking a lot about SnowRunner on the show recently, and I was explaining to everyone that that comes from a old PC game that was kickstarted called Spin Tires. And of course, that gave way to the game MudRunner. These are all involved with Saber Interactive. However, there's like a really interesting lawsuit going on with, I guess, the original developer, the publisher of the original game, and then Saber Interactive and all of this drama between them. If people want to read about it they can it's on Eurogamer and it's called Saber Interactive Files Defamation Claim amid Spin Tires legal dispute so basically they were sued for all this shit and then they countersued and it's all over these these popular truck simulations and like the person who made them this guy in Russia and all the rest so I wanted to bring that up if anyone wanted to check that out and finally there's a really extensive piece on gamesindustry.biz that I thought was fascinating I read it this morning it's called Tomb Raider and Transmedia 
what's next for Embracer Group? And it's basically this extensive conversation with Lars Wingsfor, who is the CEO of Embracer Group, who we bring up all the time on the show. But he talks about their intentions with all of their studios and what they want to do. And it just seems like a really more thoughtful approach than maybe we thought. And so if you're interested in the machinations of the industry, you might want to check out that piece as well. But now it's finally time to get into what we're playing. And uh, Dustin, let's begin with you. Sure. What have you been keeping yourself busy with this last week? So my intention was to sit down and play Resident Evil 2. Now that there's the PS5 upgrade, I started it when it came out, but I never finished it. And so I'm just going to restart fresh. Played the beginning, got through the intro part with the gas station and the oddly realistic burger that the uh, the trucker eats that that moment there, which always stands out to me for some reason. Yeah. And then I saved and I think I paused and I like got up and got a drink or something like that. And I was thinking about it and I thought, I really have always wanted to play Resident Evil 1, but I never have. And I know I have it from PlayStation Plus and I it will be impossible, not impossible, but it will feel impossible to play if I play this game first and then try to play it later. Like, you know what? I'm doing it. So I downloaded it and I played it, beat it. Gotta say. I appreciate it for what it is and the time frame, but it is it's dated. It's got some really annoying aspects, particularly I know some people were annoyed with when I when I said this on Twitter, but the door animations, I get it. They're nostalgic. They were there probably in the original PS1 version in order to let the disc load. Right. But we're talking five seconds every time you go through a door that you have to see this stupid door animation and they change it up with different doors. I guess he got some variety, <laughs> but uh, I just was like, man, this is so annoying. And it's, you know, sometimes it's frustrating where it's like, I am feel like I'm pointing the gun at the right direction, but apparently I'm not. Uh, so that would happen to me a few different times. And then, it's just like and now, especially that I'm playing Resident Evil 2, you can see the quality of life improvements that just make it it's just so obvious. Like when you go in Resident Evil 2 and you look at the map, you can see uh, what key is at what door. So there were times in Resident Evil 1 where I was like, OK, I have this key, but I don't remember where I need to unlock. So then I just go and explore around the mansion and try to figure out where I need to unlock. Thus, going through five million fucking doors at a five second uh, animation to play through each one. So that definitely gets annoying. And to be to be honest and fair, uh, I played through the game on the easy mode just because I'm mainly just trying to get the story, get the feel for what uh, this original game was like, stuff like that. And so overall, though, it's it was uh, a good experience to be able to see that part of gaming history. But I got to say that. Unless you have pure nostalgia for this game, it's hard to recommend unless you understand going into it that it's it's dated. Even the the GameCube remake. I can't even imagine what the PS1 version is like. But uh, Resident Evil 2, real good so far. The PS5 mode is there's a ray tracing mode that does not hold any kind of consistent frame rate. And what's annoying is I... I'm pretty sure I learned that the VRR mode on PS5 is only for 48 frames and above. So if oh your game God. dips below that, I think that's the right number. If your game dips below that, the VRR no longer works, which is really, it's like, 
come on, like it, it should have been a radius from 30 to 60 frames or something like that. So the ray tracing mode I can't recommend, but you can do the high frame rate mode, which is what I've been doing and has been really awesome to play through. It's like super buttery smooth and it's been really fun going through. I'm still pretty early on. Like I did the initial thing where you got to get the three medallions and then you go oh, um, yeah, down yeah. into the next area. So I haven't encountered, uh, is this miss? Is it Mr. X? The, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. X. Yeah, I haven't encountered him yet, but I just know from seeing clips that that is going to be so anxiety inducing. Oh, I for sure. hate being chased in a game. Like it's just something about it is so incredibly. I mean, I, that's the point, right? But I don't know. It feels like I'm like kind of dreading that aspect, but I'm sure it will be fun nonetheless. Yeah. And then in between, I'm also playing Ape Escape and. Chris, I just got to echo what you said last week is that when you use the monkey radar in this game, you can press L1 and see a view of where that monkey is. Uh, or a- They look like monkeys. I mean, are they monkeys or are they apes? I don't like, know. It's, it's, it's whatever. But anyway, you get to see where they are and it has this little description and they're just so cute and charming. Yeah, there was one and they're really like, I don't know if it's just because you see this stupid little monkey like looking like (laughs) just blankly in the air. Like I found one today. It was like ate some yellow snow and he's just like like sitting there. And that was like the only just this is what defines him is that he ate some yellow snow recently. Something like that. Yeah. So it's been a, a treat because. It's funny thinking about that game and that when it came out, it was, I don't know if it was alongside or very close to the release of the DualShock. So it's one of those quote unquote gimmick games that's supposed to take advantage of the DualShock and it revolves around that. And so it's not always implemented in a way that totally makes sense. Like there's some things that are annoying or frustrating, but overall for a game that revolves around a quote unquote gimmick of using the, the DualShock, the sticks, it's like really awesome and i'm really excited because i've never played ape escape 2 and so i'm gonna dive into that afterwards and that's just kind of like a game that i'll play i've been found myself playing in the morning for just like two or three levels at a time and then move on so yeah i've been having fun with that and then the last thing i just want to touch on briefly is that i did finish the quarry and the spoiler cast is coming out very soon saturday so for patrons it's tomorrow if you're listening to the release and then non-patrons, you will get it at at some point publicly. I just want to say that if you're thinking about checking out this game, I strongly encourage you to wait. Uh, because the main thing that we agreed upon at the end of the spoiler cast is that this game is not worth $70. And it's not necessarily because of the length. The length is part of it, but it also just has to do with the level of polish and the as Colin, I think, really nicely put the production per square inch. And so I just want to put that out there as a little PSA. Hold off on the quarry. I'm not saying it's not worth playing. I think we... I would agree. I I agree with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. Like $30 or $40, go for it, especially if you're interested. Just there's some caveats. Our spoiler cast will be, I think, spoiler free up until 20 minutes. It'll be a timestamp and it will be in the the description so you can hear our lighter thoughts on that but i just i felt strongly that i wanted to put that out there to try to save some people because it's obvious i think that this game will be discounted pretty quickly yeah and i, I will disagree with you in one way is that yeah. the 
the length of the game had nothing to do with the, my thoughts on pricing. It's an mm-hmm. eight or ten hour game. That's perfectly fine for seventy dollars. I just sure, yeah. I think it's it's just not a very high budget game. It is. Com- and we'll talk about it on the show. I think it's comical, actually, in some ways, how poorly produced it is. And so I'll leave it for the spoiler cast there. But uh, Chris, let's go on to you. Let's see what you're playing here. Yeah, so I've been uh, I've been dabbling around with a couple different things, mainly because I'm traveling right now. So I'm trying to not get into anything that's super narrative focused or not not anything that's like like a big like, OK, I got to really I got to really nail this down because uh, I don't have access to my PlayStation or my Xbox as as consistently as I otherwise would. But I've still been playing Yakuza like a dragon. Uh, through that's on my Xbox account, but I've been playing it through my phone because it's a you know it's a you can stream it and it's kind of turn based, so it's it's very the latency doesn't really affect it that much. It's it's actually been a really nice way to play it. Uh, still going through that slowly. It's been kind of my take a break game, playing some Tekken Two on the PS Classics, and man, uh, I am so bad. <laughs> At Tekken 2. I don't know what the hell happened. I used to be so good. I beat the hell out of that game when I was a kid. Now I'm just like, I'm getting stomped. Because these people just like, I, I forgot. And you know what's funny? Like, I, I don't think even at the time when I was a child, I, I really understood the gravity of how many combos are actually in Tekken. Until like I looked at it with like adult eyes and like actually went through the command list. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is some really tactile shit. Like, you could do some insane shit that Yoshimitsu's in there. He's, like, my favorite. I love him. He's uh, just... I, I, I don't classic. know. Classic. Yeah, he's a classic character. I don't know what the hell he's from, because he seems to be from Tekken and Soul Calibur, like, or something else. Like, I, I, I don't remember where he's from initially, but he's almost like that... He's always like the... Uh, he's almost like the Maria Menounos of fighting characters, where he's just, like, he just like, plays himself and everything, but he's not from anything. But, you know, I've been playing that a little bit. And for the plane and for the long stretches of time where I'm out here like waiting for meetings to happen and and just waiting for, you know, people to get back to me, I've been playing The Outer Worlds on my laptop because it's a game that I really got into but then sort of fell off. I don't know what happened. I think just a bunch of other stuff came out. But I think after seeing Starfield at the game showcase recently... Kind of got me an itch to play some RPGs uh, or, you know, some dialogue heavy RPGs. And I didn't exactly want to get into Disco Elysium because, again, that's a bit new and that's a bit it's probably going to be a bit story heavy for me while I'm on a trip. So I figured, let me go back into the outer world, start from start from scratch so I can maybe catch up to where I was. I was never really that far into it. I think it was maybe like five hours or so uh, into it when I first put it down. But I've I know that it's a shorter game. It's like a more condensed RPG experience. I was like, this is perfect. And I've been going through it, going through the motions. I got to say, I really enjoy it still, but I'm at, I'm still at a point where I remember everything that happens. So I'm kind of like speeding up to get to the point where like, OK, it's new things, but it plays really well. I, I really enjoy it. it. It's it's really feeding that hunger that I have to play RPGs lately that I haven't been really getting from a lot of other places. Obsidian just has a special flavor um, because it's like Bethesda with like a little bit more polish and a little bit more character. <laughs> it always feels like I didn't want to play Fallout 3 or Skyrim <laughs> again. So uh, Outer Worlds was a good was a good choice. But 
other than that, I've been I've been a bit busy. So that's been my that's been my week or so in games. Fair enough. For me, we already brought the quarry. I'll leave that to the spoiler cast. I brought up I was playing a game on N64. I've been spending most of my last week playing The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time on Switch. I got the the uh, premium Nintendo online, whatever the hell they call it thing for $60 and I downloaded it and played it and I'm doing a 100% run through it. I haven't done a 100% run through Ocarina of Time in probably I don't know, 20 years, maybe even more than that. Mm hmm. And it's a very, 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 very nostalgic game for me. It brings me back to ninth grade. November 1998. It reminds me of my best friend from childhood, Mike Pope. I was texting him, sending him screenshots and, and of it and all of that. And I'll leave my conversation because I'm playing it for knockback. The audience voted for us to do that. And we finally have gotten to it. And I'll leave it for that. But what I will say is that. I always thought this was a wonderful game, like a really good game. I always thought it was a little bit overrated. I love Majora's Mask. I think Majora's Mask is a better game. But in playing it for the first time in so long, it's amazing. And I don't really know how else to put it, how much more I know about games now than I did then. And seeing it through eyes that have played. I don't know. I mean, how many games have I literally played since I played Ocarina of Time? 500, something like that. I don't know. It's like when you think about that and then you go back you see it for what it is and I see it for what it is in a really good way. I'm like, wow, this game is brilliant. And just, I see all the little ways they designed things. Like I was obsessing over the water, which is basically just like lines of 2d currents over each other. And I was, I was coming back into the world, that hub world that goes off to the village and the Hyrule castle and to, you know, to these various places or as domain and all that and how it, it all comes back to you and the the mu- the mu- uh, muscle memories of the C stick and or the C buttons at that time and all the rest. So I'll leave it to that, but going to be much to say about that soon. What I do want to talk about is a specific game that came out very recently. Robbie Nauman wrote in about it on Patreon and says, Colin and crew, how are you guys feeling about TMNT Shredder's Revenge? The gameplay and music are just absolutely excellent. And I love that you have the ability to dodge and double jump. The character progression, secrets, and challenges are also nice additions. Overall, I'm pumped on the game, and I'm not typically a beat-em-up guy. What do you guys think? This game's awesome. I bought it the night it came out. TMNT Shredder's Revenge was like a week ago from when we were recording this. And then the next... I played just one stage by myself. The next night, Micah and I played locally all the way through, from beginning to end, all 16 stages in one run. And it's exceptional. First of all, this goes back to my TMNT. And I don't know what's going on with... TM, first of all, my TMNT in quotes lasted a pretty long time. Like yeah. I was I had bowed out and shit was going on for several years after I was bowed out of TMNT within that run, that original run. However, and those classic Playmates toys and all that. Right. However, I feel like I was sucked back into that era and I didn't recognize everything that they were showing me, but I recognized most of it. In fact, some of the silhouette enemies I was calling because they show a silhouette of the enemy you're going to fight when you begin the stage. And I was like, oh, that's that it's Baxter Stockman. That's that. Blah, blah. And I played as Leo, Micah played as Raph, and I just find it so charming because it seems like we were talking, I guess, here we go. We're talking about what a, what a remix game is. This seems like a remixed and extended version of the classic TMNT arcade game. Now, I don't know them encyclopedically enough anymore, but those were like in my vein type games when I was a kid. You better fucking believe it. The, the uh, TMNT arcade port on NES is legendary because it's so good 
and it's called TMNT 2 on NES, but that's the TMNT arcade game. What I like about this game is that they have a little ode to the original Konami TMNT game, which is which is contentious. I like that game a lot, but it's contentious with a lot of people in that game. There's like an overworld map and the the TMNT new TMNT is totally based on that. Like the overworld map is totally based on that look that you'll see from that original game. But you unlock Casey Jones when you beat the game. So there's you play you play as Casey Jones after that. But April and Splinter, which is a little strange. And then the four turtles. And it's just fun. The music is absolutely banging. It's just boom, 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 just fucking that great arcade kind of feel. You want to put it up. You want to kind of put the volume, you know, customize the volume, put the volume of the effects down, put that music volume up. I also like how there's a there's a campaign and then there's an arcade mode. So you can play the game straight up in arcade mode and see how you can do with a credit or three credits. We played the story mode, which is much more forgiving and allows you to kind of die a few times and revive your teammates and all the rest. And at twenty five dollars, and I think it's twenty two dollars with PS Plus. I mean, that's a fucking steal. That's a ripoff, basically, uh, for the developer, not for you, because it's. I think you can easily charge thirty nine ninety nine for this game and get away with it, in my opinion. So highly, highly recommended TMNT Shredder's Revenge. It is excellent. Excellent game. You can play online. Apparently, apparently you can play with six people at a time. But having played locally with two people, it just brought me right back to being in the ground round or something as a kid on Long Island waiting for our table playing on the machine that and the X-Men arcade game and the SNK machines with the Neo Geo stuff. Man, oh, man. Good stuff. So check that out. And finally, before we roll on, Crab Dude 5000 wrote in and said, howdy, Sacred Slit is. I just wanted to give a quick thanks to Colin for the Wild Arms recommendation. I have totally fallen in love with this game over the past week since the launch of the new PS Plus tiers. I haven't gotten too far, but I already dare to say this is one of the best gaming soundtracks I've ever heard. Oh, my God. Of course, do the soundtrack. Thanks for always keeping it in the conversation because it's a game because it's a game. This turn based RPG lover wished he got to sooner. Thanks and all the best. We will keep it up. I encourage people. Wild Arms is one of my favorite games. I bring it up all the time. Go look up Wild Arms one's PS1 intro and just watch it and listen to it. Listen to the music. And I bet you it's going to catch some of you because it's so fucking good. So good. (laughs) Love it. So thank you. I'm glad Crab Dude 5000 that you're enjoying it. All right, boys, let's get into the news. There's actually not much to get into. There are three extensive pieces of news though, that we should read through. And the first one is number one. Bad news. Skateboarding video game fans. Activision was planning remakes of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3 and 4, but it foiled its own plans. Word comes from an interesting source. Tony Hawk himself. The world-renowned skateboarder appeared on a Twitch channel called Andy THPS, which is apparently run by a veteran of Vicarious Visions. Before we get into the story, some necessary background. Vicarious Visions is an Activision-owned studio that has in recent months been wholesale folded into Blizzard. Indeed, it's no longer even called Vicarious Visions. It's instead called Blizzard Albany, and they're no longer working on their own projects, but instead in support of Blizzard. The studio was founded in the early 90s and purchased outright by Activision in 2005, and it's mostly been known for licensed games and ports, and also worked on the Guitar Hero franchise and helped support Skylanders as well. Now, Tony Hawk games were developed by now-defunct Activision outfit Neversoft, which started the franchise on PS1 in 1999. However, Vicarious Visions jumped in, often in support or to lead smaller games. The 2005 handheld iteration of Tony Hawk, American Skateland, which I think had an 8 in it, if I remember correctly, is one such game, and the studio later outright developed the 2006 game Downhill Jam, which came to PlayStation 2 in 2007. However, Vicarious Visions won many, many plaudits when it remade Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and its sequel from 1999 and 2000, respectively. That collection launched in 2020 on PlayStation 4 and came natively to PlayStation 5 last year, and it is beloved and sold very well. Now, here's where this Twitch stream with Tony Hawk comes in. 
On the stream, according to the sort to many sources, he said the following in part, referencing that Vicarious Visions was indeed going to remake Tony Hawk's uh, Pro Skater 3 and 4 like it did with 1 and 2. Quote, that was the plan, even up to the release day of 1 and 2. We were going to make 3 and 4. And then Vicarious got kind of absorbed and then they were looking for other developers and then it was over. Uh, ellipsis. Activision didn't really trust anyone the way they trusted Vicarious. So they took other pitches from other studios. Like, what would you do with this THPS title? And they didn't like anything they heard. And that was it. End quote. This is devastating news to fans of the series since Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3 and 4, which came to PlayStation 2 in 2001 and 2002 respectively, are beloved games as well, though a shade below the original two. That we will likely never get those remakes is a shame, as is the current state of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater generally. The disastrous Robomoda developed uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 5 launched on PlayStation 4 in 2020 literally put the developer out of business. Proving Ground is widely seen as the last core Tony Hawk's Pro Skater game worth playing, and it came to PlayStation 3 in 2007. Blizzard Albany is currently assigned to a support role on Blizzard Megalith's Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4. This bad news comes on the back of good news at rival publisher EA, however. Leaker Tom Henderson notes that Electronic Arts may be ready to show off its revival of its skate franchise, Skate 4, as soon as one month from now. Josh Lee wrote into us and said, hello, bed shitters. I was deeply saddened to hear the news that Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3 and 4 had been canceled. The news coming from Tony Hawk himself. I think it's obvious that after Activision listened to the other studio's ideas, the developers in question probably couldn't find a good enough reason to monetize the shit out of one of their games. Thoughts? Yes, I am grateful for the one and two remake, which I platinumed, but I still find it a sad state of affairs that such a beloved franchise potentially may not get the remade sequel of the better two skateboarding games us fans were yearning for. Here's hoping the rumors of Skate 4 happen next month. All right. Chris, I'm curious what you think. Yeah, these could have happened and they didn't. Seems like a total mismanagement of resources, although maybe they're just seeing things that behind the scenes that were not uh, as far as the urgency in them going and working with Blizzard. But um, this is disappointing news. What do you have to say about it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's always sad to me whenever a developer who is doing cool things gets folded into just this big Borg type machinery, just helping this one studio chug along. Uh, it's it sucks. Like I was really looking forward to Tony Hawk's Pro Skater three and four. Like I, I was almost certain that it was going to happen, and it looks like they were as well. Until just they just got folded. It's it's a bummer because those are those are special games, and and it was cool. It was really cool to me to see those games do so well after so long. Because I remember thinking like, oh, I don't know, man. Like I I love Tony Hawk's Pro Skater two specifically, but I don't know how big skating really is now. Like it's it's a very different time today than it was back when those games were really popping so to see them come out to you know warm reception and people like actually really liking them that was really nice to see and it was like really exciting because it was like oh we could be on the cusp of like maybe this this resurgence of of this ip that was so important to me as a kid and and just to see it die so unceremoniously on the vine before it even really got a shot uh it's uh it's a huge bummer. And I don't I just don't like this trend of developers who clearly show that they can do really good stuff on their own being sucked into life support systems for bigger games that are so mismanaged that they can't get their own teams to do what they need to do. I um, I really vibe with this idea that these are important games for the culture of gaming. Yeah. And I feel like. My my brother Dagan is an OG skateboarder and talks a lot about on uh, about it a lot on knockback from from the mid 80s all the way on. He still he still rolls his old ass around every once in a while. And 
he kind of tracks the popularity and the ebb and flow. And I think there's this feeling in skate circles, especially kind of older heads that Tony Hawk's pro skater kind of fed the popularity of the rising 90s X Games feel the 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 videotape scene. I mean, it's so funny when tapes were the collectible in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater because I totally related to that because my brother would come home with these things all the time. And I was I like skateboarding. I would actually roll around myself even in college, but I never really got the idea of watching tapes and watching it. But my brother was obsessed with this and I was kind of exposed to this culture. And so I think Tony Hawk's Pro Skater coming out in 99 being followed with a sequel in 2000 and then 2001 and then 2002. They had a nice momentum that I think fed the popularity of skateboarding in the United States and elsewhere in the world. Very similar to the effect I think FIFA has had on soccer in places like the United States in particular, where it wouldn't, wouldn't be necessarily as popular and the rest. So I feel like it's just from that perspective, it's a bummer, but Dustin, it's also a perspective uh, a, um, a bummer from the perspective of vicarious visions themselves. Like I don't, I don't know why you would take a studio that that's doing what they do really well and then moving them into support unless the move is really listen, Blizzard's kind of struggling and you guys are good and we need you to kind of go and help. But it kneecaps their ability to do other cool things. So I'm curious if you have anything to add on this. This is extremely disappointing for me, just in that Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3 was the one that really I latched onto. I played some of the other ones, but particularly the third one on PlayStation 2, I have so many memories i remember just being so amazed by all of the fun and like wacky things there's an awesome level that always sticks out in my mind as the cruise ship on this on uh, tony Hawk pro skater 3 that i as soon as that remake was announced i thought please let them do three and four so i can see these levels remade and so to hear this news is insanely disappointing and it's one of those things where it's like man i just wish uh can can you just have if if vicarious visions is folded into blizzard then just have blizzard make have that team still make it and just have i i mean i know they're busy i know it's not that simple but that's like my dream is like just figure out a way these people are still under your umbrella um but i don't know it makes me wonder too just like what the the sales were like for the the uh, one and two remake if the they weren't necessarily I think they were pre I think they were did appreciably I'll look while you're talking well yeah but, and, and clearly uh, they were interested in still doing it outside of vicarious visions but I, it's one of those things where I at least I feel like it was somewhat the only respectable thing out of this is that they didn't feel like they could find someone else to do it as good and so they decided to not do it all which it would have been even more disappointing to get like some kind of half-baked stinky Tony Hawk Pro Skater 5 version of 3 and 4 remake. Yeah, Robomoto absolutely murdered the franchise. It's 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 hysterical. Like cuz what happened in Neversoft? Didn't they get folded in something they made too? Guitar Hero and then eventually just uh and got they folded. went away. Yeah. Yeah. So that's right. So I'm reading here with uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 Wikipedia says it was the fastest selling game in franchise history, selling a million copies in two weeks. And yeah. in UK, it was the biggest Tony Hawk release since 2003 when Underground came out. So that's appreciable. I don't Figure know if they out. got a nice return in ROI. I don't see why the the ROI is probably a little lower on something like this because of all the licenses in it. However, I think a lot of people were like 
probably thrilled to be involved in this. I mean, dude, when I was playing it again, because Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 to a lesser extent, but the first one is an iconic game in my own history. I, I That game is Christmas 1999, Rage Against the Machines, Battle of Los Angeles, playing in the background, my brother's home. We're playing the shit out of this game. I just remember it so well. And so one of the most, one of the coolest things about playing the remake, although I didn't play it too extensively, played it for maybe five hours, is just all the music. I was like, holy oh, shit, yeah. they got all the music. And I, I'm sure a lot of these... I think they got almost everything except for four songs. And I'm sure a lot of the bands were like, we are thrilled to be part of this for, you know, you can pay us $5,000 licensing fee or whatever. But nonetheless, I'm sure it was more expensive to get this game going. Yeah. But it's available on PS4 and PS5 if people want to check it out. One and two anyway. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, it's, uh, I'm sorry. Go I ahead. just I got to recommend too before uh, if you're a you know, fan of these games or a fan of skating and Tony Hawk in general, there is a HBO documentary that came out like a few months ago, it was this year, called Tony Hawk Until the Wheels Fall Off. And they talk a little bit about the game, and that's calling what you were touching on about how that game, the first one, just hit at the like exact right moment that it was, you know, X Games taking off, Tony Hawk becoming absolutely I mean, he was huge in the eighties, kinda had a mm. not a downfall, but like a big dip in popularity. And then once X Games came off, he like exploded and like just kind of like fed this this skateboarding machine and that documentary is absolutely incredible I highly recommend it to anybody it's worth the watch by the way i knew that the never soft thing i was not satisfied with the answer we had i knew they were they were not they were they were um folded into infinity ward never so i knew that they weren't they infinity weren't uh ward. yeah i knew that that was uh that they weren't just like broken yeah. away because they were too valuable but they just didn't see a need for that that yeah. label anymore yeah, they, they, just, they designed a bunch of uh, zombies masks for Call of Duty. I remember because there was like that eye, that famous. Oh, yeah, their eye, the yeah, that, that eye yeah. logo was was hidden all over like a specific. I can't remember which game it was, but like a specific zombies incarnation. Um, but I don't know, man. It, it's just was, was was it two or three that you could play as like Spider-Man? And you could do those web tricks. That was four. That was four. Yeah, I was going to say that, that was, was one so, of the PS2 ones. Oh, for sure, man, that was four. so sick. That, that probably couldn't be done. Now, I think you could play as Darth shit. Maul in three. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it, 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 it was ridiculous. There's tons of awesome stuff. It's, it's funny, man. Like, it's funny. Like, NeverSoft. One of their first games was MDK, which which is so interesting because MDK two was made by Bioware, and that was one of the games that made them popular. And then they made. I don't know if you guys remember, they did a game with Bruce Willis. NeverSoft right before Spider Man came out. Yeah, called Apocalypse. I don't know if you guys. Uh, oh no, I didn't know. Remember that? that. Oh. It was like some weird ass. Like th they were making third person shooters. I mean, MDK was a third person shooter as well. So, yeah, you can go check that out if you want. And then they they made. So after that, then they made Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and they made Spider-Man, the original Spider-Man. Yeah, Spider-Man 1 cool. and 2. Enter Electro. OK, let's move on to number two. Final Fantasy 16 was recently confirmed for release on PlayStation 5 in the summer of 2023. And so it's got a lot of buzz right now. And publisher Square Enix is taking full advantage of the buzz by dispatching the game's executive producer, Naoki Yoshida, to conduct a series of interviews at outlets like IGN, GameSpot, Game Informer, and even the official PlayStation blog. Now, for those who are new to modern Final Fantasy, Yoshida is considered the force behind Final Fantasy XIV's turnaround, growth, and current success, currently acting as that project's director and producer in his role as the stubbornly obnoxiously named internal developer Creative Business Unit 3. And his game, Final Fantasy 16, is another departure for the franchise, which has been set, which has seen its own set of departures in the products like in, I'm sorry, from products like Final Fantasy 8, 11, 13 and 15. Final Fantasy 16 is being described as an action RPG 
with talent from Capcom's Devil May Cry team helping to hone the feel. And we already know the game's basic plot, which takes place in a world called Valicia. Valicia. S- Very Japanese, because STH doesn't belong together like that. Yeah. Valicia, which itself is under the dominion of six governments. The game focuses heavily on summons, which in this game they call icons. They used to call them Eidolons, right, before that? And main character characters include names like Clive, Jill, and Joshua. A convenient rundown of the various interviews Yoshida conducted as appearing on Reddit helpfully distills new information. For starters, and perhaps thankfully, the game is an open world. Rather, players will gain access to what sounds like Borderlands-type locations manifesting in a much larger map, not, not unlike Final Fantasy XII. However, PS5 itself won't have problems loading these various areas as Yoshida claims the game runs seamlessly into battles, then back to control, into cutscenes, and back again, and so on, with no load times whatsoever. The game also seems to jump time periods. As the aforementioned Clive is the main character, it sounds as you will play as him as a teenager, then again as him in his 20s, and finally as him in his 30s, conceivably broken up by in-game events we may not participate in. He'll be accompanied by party members which are AI-controlled. And unusually for this time period in the industry, Final Fantasy 16 is being developed with no DLC in mind and is being positioned to stand on its own, though that doesn't obviously mean that DLC isn't coming. Many players will also be pleased to hear that, similar to what's happening with Dragon Quest XII, Final Fantasy 16 is a mature game going for an M rating. Players will play as both human characters and summons, and the summons are described as their own mini-games. One will play like a shooter, another like a slasher, and another even like a racing title. I was reading today, actually, one will play like a wrestling game. It's totally playable from beginning to end as we speak, and they're working on tightening everything up in the next year leading up to its launch. Final Fantasy, which began in 1987 when Square Enix was still divided from its rival and known as Squaresoft, is the most famous JRPG franchise in gaming history. The last Final Fantasy game, 15, launched on PS4 in 2016. Dustin, let's go to you first. How you feeling about Final Fantasy 16? This is going to be pretty divisive, I think. A lot of this stuff, I think, is going to be is is being is divisive. And I think we'll continue to be divisive, but I don't. I, I was I was trying to like kind of say this on on discord to a, to a listener. I didn't really know quite how to put it. I, I was saying it's just hard for me to believe that Square Enix is going to spend 200 million dollars on a turn based role playing game. Like, I just don't. I just don't know that they have any other choice. Are they really going to have like have random encounters and really high end but they're standing on opposite sides of each other and they're taking turns fighting like I love that shit I love that shit to my absolute core I really do I think that's Dragon Quest I think Dragon Quest is going to stay there I don't know that you can make this expensive beautiful impressive turn based role playing game and I think people have to embrace the fact that we're not going to get Final Fantasy 6 or 10 or anything like that ever again from from the AAA space in Square, Square Enix so what do you think about this so more and more i mean it i this was already true but it's becoming increasingly more true that this is my most anticipated game right now for sure and it seems like anytime we get new tidbits of information i'm like yes the no open world thing is awesome to me just in that 15's open world felt like an open world just so they could be like it's an open world final fantasy game and then you drive around aimlessly in a car and it's mostly empty it it did not serve the gameplay uh very well and so to hear that this is not that is awesome and the fact that it's already fully playable now and obviously i think they said they have more vo work to do and they have music to do and they are just polishing this game 
that it, it's one of those that I'm just thinking like, man, obviously things could still go wrong. And I try not to give anyone the benefit of the doubt in this area. But it's like, I just feel like when that game comes out, I'm so excited thinking about like the full complete package, you know, not thinking about the fact that they're not planning DLC right now, that it's been polished for oh, like a year. Like, man, I feel like this is going to be so so incredibly awesome they're targeting you know the mature rating um which i think other i mean are not most but a lot of final fantasy games have been mature right like i'm trying to think is is seven remake mature rated i don't know final fantasy um esrv ratings yeah i actually don't know i think i've ever all the final fantasy games with m ratings all right so here we go Final Fantasy Type O or Type Zero. Yeah. Final Fantasy Origin. Final Fantasy 16. Those are the three. Really? Okay. Wow. So yeah. that actually does make that kind of distinct that this is going to be mature rated, which I think is awesome. I mean, as long, I mean I'm sure that they will. Uh, it's not going to be gratuitous, I'm sure, in any way, but who knows? Maybe it will be. That'd be cool too. Whatever. So overall. Final Fantasy 15, by the way, is rated T. 15's rated T. That's crazy because that game, the the subject matter gets so dark. The ending of that game is really, really dark and sad. But um, it's rated. It says it's rated T for language, mild blood, partial nudity, and violence. Partial and nudity. A handful of cutscenes depict characters impaled on swords. One cutscene involves a woman being stabbed off screen. Another scene depicts a character with a bloodstained wound. Mm. The word shit appears in the dialogue. <laughs> Characters are depicted topless with breasts that lack discernible details. No nipples. Ah, unbelievable. What is World of Final Fantasy rated E for everyone? Dialogue that states, on the one hand, he must. I love reading this shit sometimes. On the one hand, he must flirt with all the ladies. (laughs) That's one of the things that they wanted. Yeah. Yeah. But overall, I mean, the last thing I guess I'll say is that I. I am totally fine. This is not turn based. In fact, I welcome it. Because more and more I like turn-based RPGs, but I'm finding more and more that I'm drawn to really good action RPGs. And I think you're right, Colin, in that there is a, I don't know if market imperative is the right word, but there is definitely like, yeah, if we're going to spend this much money on this game, we need to make it appeal to more people. And for many players out there, uh, turn-based is just a, a full stop. Like, no, I'm not playing that. And that's fine. Everyone has their own tastes. But I guess you could argue that it's like, well, they shouldn't be playing a Final Fantasy game. But again, when you get this kind of budget and this level of like, man, they're taking a year to polish this game, you have to make something more appealing. And I, I don't know. Personally, I still think that it will be very good despite that. Like, I don't know. There's something about this game that I just feel it's it's not correct, but I just feel like there's no doubt in my mind that this game's going to be incredible. Like, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm totally with you. <laughs> See, dude, nothing would would allow me more pleasure than for them to have said Final Fantasy 16 looks like Octopath Traveler straight the fuck up. I would have been like, that is awesome, but it's just never going to happen. Yeah. And so we have to kind of embrace the fact that we'll get the turn. Final Fantasy is just a name. It's not even a series that necessarily means much of anything anymore. I'm sorry. It doesn't. I'm a huge Final Fantasy fan from way back. It's just a series of spells, maybe a few worlds, weapons, mm-hmm. you know, 
summons. That's cool. I mean, even, I mean, really, even the sequels, looking, even the sequels don't even really tie into each other. You know what I mean? Like it's, 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 it's no, not, no, not at all. Yeah, yeah. Like you have to get within, you have to get sequels within the actual sub number. Yeah. 10 to 13 to those actually touch each other, but you're right. Like, so what I'm saying is, is that the, the shit you want is going to continue to come. It's going to come from different sources and they could have easily been called final fantasy 16, but they're not. So I think it's kind of cool because we're getting both. I don't want to necessarily applaud Square Enix for making a decision because we don't know exactly how it's going to go yet, Chris. But I'm curious what you think of this. What, what are you what you what do you make of Final Fantasy 16, especially as someone who doesn't have traditional bona fides like maybe Dustin and I do when it comes to our role playing games? You're just not into it. Yeah, it's 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 kind of interesting because, I mean, I, I talked earlier about uh, kind of playing a decent amount of Yakuza Like a Dragon, which is a, a turn based RPG. And I actually find myself kind of enamored with it in a way that I w- typically am not. I, I, I spent most of my time playing video games really enamored with action and, and you know, platformers. And, and the the overall idea of, like, if I'm playing a video game, I want to be kind of entering a simulated reality where I, I, I want to be able to move about as I see fit. I want to be able to go where I want to go. I want to be able to control my character through every single step of the journey. And I, I don't want to play with uh with menus all the time like it was it was just something that didn't interest me as a as an ADHD child and kind of continued to just inform my taste later on but i find now i'm a lot more comfortable with turn based as as an idea and i don't know if that's yakuza's doing necessarily because i think there there have been there have been a couple of other games since then that have kind of grabbed me as well but i i agree with you that there's no way that a game this expensive is going to be turn-based because it is for me for a long time. It really was. I'm not touching that. Like, I'm not going to do that was my experience with the original final fantasy seven. I was like, I I can't like, I I love the art and I love the music, but I, I I do not find it fun to sit and pick things off of me. I remember like I had an argument with a friend of mine a long time ago. It's like, what is the, what is ostensibly the difference between these types of games and loading up a DVD that plays different animations whenever you click a something on the menu. You know, like, I, I, that's how I saw it. It was like a glorified DVD menu that was, like, kind of interactive. I was like, I don't want that. I want to run around and slash shit and do some parkour and, like, nonsense. Obviously, that's <laughs> really unfair because it's, like, boiling down everything. It's like, oh, move around and shoot is every first-person shooter. And it's like, obviously, things are more complicated. But, But I do think... You are still you are still going to continue to get turn based games. I think, in fact, it's probably easier than ever for individuals to make them. I think you're going to see probably a hell of a lot of really interesting indie turn based games and pop out in the next couple of years. But I will say for this game specifically, I'm not really that into Final Fantasy. This game didn't really catch my attention during the showcase. It, it didn't do anything that really interested me, and. That normally would kind of push me off, but the fact that they said that they're taking a year to polish, that alone kind of has me intrigued. Just because so few games are reliably polished, as we are about to get into, that to hear that a developer is taking uh, the polishing of a game that seriously almost has me inherently supportive of it and curious about it and wanting to check it out. Even as I've been kind of more accepting of turn-based stuff and would have been kind of interested in playing a triple-A Final Fantasy that was turn-based at this point. Uh, I like the action-oriented gameplay enough, and 
while I'm not super enamored with whatever the hell is going on in this trailer, I appreciate a game that's taking itself seriously and wants to be good and doesn't fuck around and it's taking a whole year to polish that 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 is a huge selling point to me as somebody who wasn't even really all that into what they were showing so i'm curious about it i'll probably check it out honestly if that's really the case but but like you said my my experience with final fantasy is very very low compared to you guys let's uh go into a couple of these questions dustin specifically from the audience here that will allow us to explore final fantasy 16 a little deeper Max Davis wrote in and said, hey, fellas, Yoshi P confirmed today that Final Fantasy 16 would have party members joining Clive throughout, but you won't control them in battle, in quotes. What are your thoughts on the solo party member for a mainline game? How do you feel about this? Uh, this this annoys some people. It doesn't feel very different from Final Fantasy 7 Remake to me. In the sense, you can cycle through those characters actively if you want, but you're primarily going to play as Cloud when you play that game. Here, it seems like you'll play as Clive and you'll have some accompanying characters that will be with you. I don't really mind this, especially because if you're going through time in the game over periods of time and not like Chrono Trigger where you're all going as a party, but this one guy is experiencing different periods of his life, then it doesn't really make sense. I don't like having party members that you just have for a little while and then they go away. That annoys the shit out of me. I like building a party and having choices. So this is different. I mean, this is different for Final Fantasy. There's no doubt, but I think this game is just going to be different and I'm feeling very optimistic about it as well. How do you feel about Again, Yoshi P saying, quote, party members joining Clive throughout, but you won't control them in battle, end quote. Yeah, that's totally fine with me. The The main thing is just that they they're if they're you if you don't they join him in battle, you don't control them. So hopefully it just means that the AI is good and not stupid. You know what I mean? As long as it feels natural, like someone's fighting alongside you, then that's totally fine with me. I'm sure I don't want to say I'm sure, but most likely you will still uh, change out their gear and their stats and maybe you can tell them to do certain moves. And like, that's really all the extent that I would really want to be able to control them. So that's totally fine with me. It's if that's intended in the game's design, then it's not a problem for me. Michael Caswell has the other inquiry, Dustin, from Patreon. He says, hey, Slitterheads, with the news that Final Fantasy 16 won't be open world, I got to say I'm pretty disappointed. I didn't think it would be, but I hated Final Fantasy VII Remake. I know you guys loved it, so what do you think of Final Fantasy XVI having the same approach in gameplay? Michael, I think you are mistaken, and I want to be really clear about this. I don't think Final Fantasy VII Remake is a good analog for this. Final Fantasy VII Remake was a chapter-based approach that was very linear. They're saying here that the game is going to be more like Final Fantasy XII, I think. So Final Fantasy XII is non... You're confusing open world and Mm non-linear. Those are two different things. And... I, I feel like there's there's going to be obviously gaps in the story. If the game is really going to be him in his teens, him in his 20s, him in his 30s, then there can't be a, a nonlinear story from stem to stern. It can't be. However, I don't think you're interpreting it quite right. I don't think it's structured in these very stilted chapters where you can't go back and you can't do anything. I don't think it's going to be like that. And so let's not misunderstand, I think, what the intent is. And I was personally, Dustin, thrilled to hear that the game is not truly open world. Yeah. Now, again, the plot's not going to let it be the way we would traditionally, but how many more open world games do we need? I like the Borderlands approach, which is the Final Fantasy 12 approach, which is to say there are these maps that are interconnected to each other and they're smaller maps. And there's not just this big ass map, yeah. but rather locations that you go to. I like that. 
So do you have anything to add to that, Dustin? Yeah, I totally agree. And it's funny because Final Fantasy VII Remake, they remade the first, the uh, the city section. Uh, what's the... I can't remember Mid- the name of Midgar? the Midgar? Midgar. Midgar. They remade the Midgar part, which if you play the original game, that's like also very linear. It's not until after that part that the game kind of lets you open up with the world map and stuff like that. So it was like, yeah, that's the kind of the intended experience for that they actually made it more open by having those open instances where you can go out and do side quests so you know whatever but yeah i just feel like so many games in particular recently over the last five years have just become open world because that's like was the buzzword for a long time and so to see big triple a games realize like hey we don't have to do that we can do something that is open or feels open and expansive, but we don't need to have it be like one totally instance area. We can kind of make smaller and more dense, more finely crafted areas than just one giant area. It's not necessarily about space. Size isn't everything. It's about how you use it. <laughs> that's, exa- that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well said. Let's put a period on that. The final uh, story for the week, number three. It sounds as if beleaguered Electronic Arts owned developer Dice really isn't going to give up on Battlefield 2042 after all. In fact, in a Cadden interview uh, conducted with website GamesIndustry.biz, the team's newest general manager, Rebecca Kutaz, insists that her studio isn't only intent on fixing Battlefield 2042, but becoming the premier FBS studio it once was known for, or once is known as being. Here's what she had to say in part, quote, Things are better now. The launch of Battlefield 2042 was not as expected. Our players and community were disappointed, but so was our development team. We have focused on the health of the game, and so bug after bug, patch after after patch, we are fixing it and improving it. And each patch, we have a little win, and that is important for our team, because they were disappointed. We're celebrating 30 years as a studio, but also 20 years on Battlefield. And we have players who have been with us for 20 years, and to disappoint them, that's really hard on us, end quote. Melodrama aside, Kutaz explains some of what DICE has been up to to fix the game. And what's perhaps been most interesting about this entire interview is her repeated insistence that DICE is a Battlefield team. Quote, the team is here to make Battlefield and they're passionate about Battlefield, end quote. When asked if they should just move on to something new, she noted in part, quote, no, we couldn't do that to our players and we couldn't do that to ourselves. I don't want to use the word revenge because it's too strong in English, but, you know, we cannot leave it like that, end quote. And she explicitly denies the team will return to Mirror's Edge or anything other than Battlefield, noting that they aren't exactly long on time. Here's what she had to say on this front, quote, there's no time for anything else. And this is what we want to do. In three years, we want to be the first person shooter powerhouse that DICE deserves to be. And that is what we're going for, end quote. DICE, founded in 1992 and purchased outright by Electronic Arts in 2006, several years after Battlefield began, is no doubt one of EA's most important teams. Its original Battlefield PC game launched in 2002 as Battlefield 1942 was a game-changing shooter, and they followed it with lots of content. It wasn't until 2005 that PlayStation received Battlefield in the form of Battlefield 2 Modern Combat. Three years later, Bad Company came to PS3. Its previous two Battlefield games were 1 and 5, released on PS4 in 2016 and 2018, respectively. The studio is also uh, the keeper of EA's mega important Frostbite engine, which it is attempting to run virtually all of its games off of in order to keep licensing costs non-existent. Chris, let's go to you. This she said something here really interesting to me. She says, quote, there's no time for anything else. And this is what we want to do in three years. We want to be the first person shooter powerhouse that this dice deserves to be End quote. Dice doesn't deserve shit. Yeah, that dice has to earn 
their plaudits. I don't understand what that's supposed to mean. Yeah. Dice dro- has dropped the ball in substantial ways. So what do you make about this? Um, I like the insistence on like trying to revive Battlefield and trying to keep with it. But it's surprising that they don't like let them out of that box either. And I like how she used. I totally understand what she means. She, they like they have this feeling of revenge, like they just can't leave it alone. It's kind of neat. But yeah, I don't know if it's the best use of time. What do you think? Yeah, I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I, it's it's difficult to say with these types of games because to me, it's you know, it's always good to see a developer, you know, if if they strum if they stumble out of the gate and they and they make something that doesn't meet expectations or it's colossally underdeveloped or it's or it's or it misses the mark in some way. It's always a nice story to see de- that developer stick with it and and reform it and reforge it into this thing that becomes, you know, really beloved and, and, and really celebrated that happened with No Man's Sky, it, it, you know, it, and it's and it's happened a number of times since. But at the same time, you know, you also have stories like Anthem where, you know, you try and you try, but nothing's sticking. And it's at a certain point, it's better to just sort of cut loose and do something else. Um, maybe not necessarily do something else entirely. I know, I know Dice likes to make Battlefield. I, I would imagine that if you're trying to work at Dice, chances are you join the team to try and make Battlefield. You know, like that is typically what I would imagine you join the studio to do. It's kind of like how people, when they joined Bethesda, they were like, oh man, I can't wait to make a single player RPG. And then they were like, ah, 76. <laughs> you know, that must have been probably really frustrating for a lot of people who might have joined Bethesda recently. And so I can imagine why they don't necessarily they're not eager to get out of the mold of Battlefield because maybe that's just actually straight up not what they really want to do. Maybe they do just want to make Battlefield and I can understand why because there's so much fun that you can have with a game like Battlefield and so many ideas that you can implement and so many so much chaos that you could orchestrate in that in that sandbox. It's such a strong it's such a strong series with such strong roots and I I'm mixed about it because I feel like there are certain aspects of Battlefield 2042 that are fucked in a way that that goes beyond simply fixing the game I think there are core design flaws with Battlefield 2042 beyond just the poorly functioning engine beyond the glitches beyond the you know, the 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 late edition of a scoreboard <laughs> that that conflict with what Battlefield is supposed to be. I, f- I feel like this insistence that, oh, you could just pick up whatever gun you want and, you know, you could just sort of you could switch your loadouts on the fly and, and things like that, where it's like, eh, it's not really what it's not really what this is. It's not really what Battlefield is about, really. And, and for people to have abandoned battlefield 2042 for battlefield 5 in droves speaks volumes because battlefield 5 in and of itself was a massive step down from battlefield 1 now i loved battlefield 1 like and i i i'm not gonna say i have as much of a pedigree with with battlefield as i do with other shooters like i've definitely played more call of duties than battlefield but i've definitely liked more battlefields than call of duties battlefield 3 battlefield 4 battlefield 1943 the arcade game that was on xbla uh you know I loved Battlefield 1. There was um Battlefield Hardline was a bit was a bit confusing. I don't know what the hell that was. That was that cops and robbers yeah, one. Stop that, gap. Yeah, yeah that, that was, was a weird one. That was a bizarre one. But a bad company too. Like th- these are great experiences and all of them are very in keeping with what Battlefield is without being carbon copies of the same thing over and over again. And I feel like there's a way to do that with 2042 and maybe to go to the drawing board again. 
but I don't think they can do that without shutting the game down straight up in in the in the same way that what was the Final Fantasy one that that got sh- that got shut down and 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 restarted Final Final Fantasy Versus Thirteen. If you're going to save Battlefield 2042, that is what you have to do. I don't think you really have to go to the drawing board as badly, but there are definitely like core design problems with Battlefield 2042 that cannot be fixed simply by, you know, patching things and and letting the game kind of live loosely on life support in that time. You need you need to really go in and fix these things because they're not it's not just it's unfinished. It's that things are finished in the wrong way. And I don't know. We'll see if they can do it. I I would love for Battlefield 2042 to play well, because I do think it, it as a foundation, it's not bad. So I don't know. I, I, I don't feel as anthem about it. You know, I, I do feel like I do kind of hope that they do put it together. I just don't know if they can, but it's worth It's a worthy try and we'll we'll see how it shakes up. Do you have anything to add, Dustin? I was thinking, I don't think so. I think I agree with Chris entirely. Uh, Dice, you got to do better. Yeah. All right, my friends. Let's get into six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to end the show as we do each and every week. You can submit these inquiries and uh, more on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Media. We appreciate you. We already did one of them, so there are five left. Rajiv Basu wrote in and said, hello, fine gents. Would you would you like to hear uh, he said he said would you I think he means would like to hear what you'd like to see from God of War Ragnarok more of the same just new locations enemies different gameplay mechanics or playable characters it's time for a gut check I want to use this as a gut check Dustin what do you when do you think let's do it again God of War Ragnarok is going to come out this date and it's going to score this score on Metacritic and people will say what positively and what negatively about it. Hmm. Uh, it will come out this holiday. Do we need a? Well, how specific do we want to be? As specific as you feel like you want to be. Okay. Let's say it's gonna come out. It's a made-up game I made, so you can do whatever you want. Let's say it's gonna come out October. We'll go with that. It will score in eighty-eight because it will suffer from the same sequelitis that the other. That well, that uh, Horizon, I think, had where I don't think I think that saying that it's DLC, like a lot of people said when the trailer came out, is probably unfair. We saw such a small slice of it, but at the same time, we see Sony not necessarily doing anything too bold and different with their sequels and just kind of making them uh, iterative updates on their the previous game for me, what I would really, I I feel like the thing that I didn't like, or how about I say, I could say that could be improved upon from the first God of war is that I think it comes down to the, the map in the world. It has this weird thing where it's like, there's fast traveling that isn't very good and it feels empty and somewhat linear, but you can go back to places. I I'd like to see, I don't want an open world for God of War, but maybe something that is a little more open, um, something that makes sense for uh, some some side quests and some fast travel that is actually intuitive and not some kind of weird uh, gate system. I'm trying to remember there was like that was really weird, but it was bad. It was bad. The fast travel system sucked. Yeah. So 
I, I'd like to see it get bigger in that direction because I feel like the elements they nailed as far as like the, the combat was awesome. The, the different weapons, the, the way that you upgraded it. It's like, I don't necessarily want like a full fine tuning, like statting out Kratos with different numbers and like buffs and stuff like that. But I do like the ability to change different abilities, maybe focus on different areas, kind of fine tune it the way you like. So that's what I'd like to see, but I'm overall expecting an iterative update. Yeah, it's um. Well, you know, what? I won't even answer it, Chris. Let's ask you, what uh, do you think the release date will be? As specific as you want to be, what do you think it'll score on Metacritic, and what do you think is a positive and a negative? People will say about the game generally. I think, uh, I think, I think it's going to be November 11th. I'm thinking, I'm feeling November mm, 11th for some reason. Starfield, yeah. Yeah, I think they're going to want to step into like maybe like play it a little play it a little cheeky. Be like, hey, look at yeah. that. We got it. Yeah. We got a game out. Also, it's like a good. Also, it's just a good date to release something. It's it's always nice to have those alliterative dates. Something there's something appealing about that for marketing executives everywhere. I know everybody salivates over that shit. So uh, I would imagine November 11th. I would actually say. I, I'm not I don't disagree with Dustin, but just to but just to kind of. uh make it a little bit interesting i would bet 80 i would bet it's going mm. to be on the lower end of 80 because i bet i'm going to assume that people are going to be less impressed by the story i feel like they're going to feel as if the story didn't reach the heights of the first one but i feel like the gameplay is going to be significantly improved i feel like they're going to do things that wouldn't have been expected or wouldn't have been possible in god of war 20 2018 probably probably in part due to some of the aerial stuff that we've been seeing uh or or catching glimpse of in the in the few trailers that we have for ragnarok already like there's there's like grapple mechanics and shit like with like enemies and stuff and i feel like that's going to be a huge uh gameplay improvement over over one but that's kind of how i'm feeling about it broadly all right i'll answer i'll say I think it will come out in November, but I think they want to get it away from Thanksgiving and Black Friday. So I'll say November 4th, which mm. is the week before November 11th, gives them enough time to continue to work on the game and go gold and maybe late September or early October and then have a day one patch ready to go. I think so. The original God of War is 94 or 95 on Metacritic, which is insane. There's no way it's going to get anywhere near that. I, I would say maybe 10 points lower, something like that. 84. And I think the positives people are going to say it's going to be beautiful. I guarantee you this game is going to be absolutely beautiful on PlayStation 5, especially. And I think what people are going to say is it's more of the same. And we just see that over and over again. If you're going to get Horizon for that shit, then I don't know how God of War is going to escape. And by the way, Chris, if that if this game scores an 80 on Metacritic, that's going to be a fucking disaster. Do you think so? For so? Yeah, that's horrible. You know, this game has been in development. It's a five year, two hundred million dollar game. You know, you definitely want an eight. So, yeah, I, I don't think it'll I don't know if it'll what it will do for sales. I think the game is going to sell very healthily. But if they get into that territory, I don't think they're going to be very pleased. I would be very curious to see what their um, their mock reviews say, which I'm sure they already have. So thank you for writing in, Reggie. We'll see soon enough. Hopefully we'll hear soon enough. Slade by Jay wrote in and said sacred gents. A lot of people wrote in by the, about, about this, by the way, but I picked you Slade by Jay. At risk of beating this topic into the ground. I did feel like the Sacred Symbols feedback regarding The Last of Us Part 1 remake to be one-sided and one-sided and incomplete. 
There was very much a focus on the graphical upgrades, and while I agree, it really did not move the needle too much for me in that aspect. I feel compe- feel compelled, I'm sorry, I can't read, to bring up the fact that Neil also said that they're bringing the gameplay systems from The Last of Us Part Two into the original as well. To me, that is actually the big news, as The Last of Us Part Two is, in my opinion, one of the most mechanically impressive games out of the first-party studios. I think that while paired with the updated visuals, it's a pretty darn compelling product for new and old players of the franchise. As always, thank you for all that you do, and stay frosty. Thank you, Slade by Jay, for writing in. A lot of people wrote in about this. So clearly, we... I don't know if we were off the the reservation with it, but I think that we have to kind of clarify and maybe go back and talk about this some more. It is true that The Last of Us is getting a, ma- a major visual overhaul, which we've talked about extensively. It is also true that the game is going to play like The Last of Us Part Two, apparently. Right. And that is in and of itself a major upgrade. However, the big thing that I'm annoyed about with this is just the incessant conversation about the fucking the uh, the price of the game. I think pricing of games is relevant. I think we can talk about it over and over again. Are, is it really worth this level of consternation to pay $70 for the game? Like, just don't buy it. You know, that's that's my whole thing. It's like we're not even we don't even really know what we're getting yet. So I think pricing is the hardest thing to judge until after you played it. For instance, we said earlier that the quarry in our estimation is not worth $70, but I couldn't have known that until I played it right. and bought it for $70 and then felt the, the the so Chris let's go to you first I feel like a lot of the a lot of the conversation around the last of us part two is is missing the forest for the trees I think so let's let's actually try to focus in on that which is do you feel like the mechanical gameplay of the last of us part two which is w- well above what's in the original last of us if people haven't played the two and recently just go watch some gameplay and you can even tell how different it is. Do you think that that's that in and of itself is another value proposition for the game to make it play more in line with the superior sequel? I mean, I, I, it's definitely an improvement. I, I don't, I don't know how much though, like, because it is ultimately, I don't know this. I feel like this is going to feel like last of us two DLC. Like ultimately is what it's going to feel like, because it's, if it's just lifting the systems, then the only thing that I can really remember being that different about, Last of Us 1 and 2 is the fact that like your hits like whenever you hit somebody it felt a little bit more weighty and it was just like more violent but like as a control setup standpoint goes like it's not really insanely different it's just more impactful and does a better job of serving the experience of like oh the violence is real and visceral Um, so to me it's like I I was fully aware of you know that's what they were planning to do I I, I just don't know if uh, The Last of Us is just not a it's not a gameplay game to me. It's a, it's a story. It's a narrative adventure to me. Like the gameplay is fine and, and it does a good job of servicing it. But like, I don't think anybody, even back when the last of us one was like the talk of the town. I don't think anybody was really talking about the last of us one as if it was breaking new ground for gameplay. You know, like it's, it's not, it's not a, it's not one of those games. It was breaking new grounds because of, for presentation, for production value, for story, for narrative, and that was important at the time, and it still is. Obviously, it's why these first-party games sell so well. It's because so many of them have adopted that kind of that kind of philosophy. But yeah, I I, I don't know. I I feel like it's just I feel like the gameplay is an improvement, and it is probably going to be very very transformative to the overall game experience. I do think it'll lead for a a game that does play better because as The Last of Us Two did play better, but I just feel like. My worry with The Last of Us 1 remake from the get-go has always been there 
a game is like a house of cards and everything is meticulously placed in such a way and there's intent behind the placing of these cards in in a, in the in that particular way but the second that intent leaves and is interpreted by somebody else then it then it becomes something else you know like it becomes oh i really appreciate this game because it's washed out like it's for me like i love resident evil 4 because i find the fact that it's so washed out so compelling i feel like it serves the nature of the kind of game it is that there is such a lack of color that it is that it does feel almost like like the, there's like a like almost like a faded photograph type of experience to playing resident evil 4 especially on original hardware at the time to the point where like if you do take that and you do make it look better it does look better but there's a chance that it loses something and there's also something like that that i've i feel that same way about some of the character redesigns we talked earlier about not well not earlier but like in a previous episode about how ellie looks older and that has you know that's a minor change up front because on its face value that's just a texture swap or a model swap which is not really that big of a deal it's not difficult to explain to someone but on an interpretive level that could have drastic impacts on how that game is interpreted and how that game is received by your average player um little things like every little thing from character design to lighting of certain scenes to the time of day in certain locations to the to the voice actors that you use for certain people like that all contributes to the experience that you had with the original and i don't know if putting it all on the line to kind of like give this game a boost in in every single way is worth the potential fumbling of the important piece of media that is the original last of us that that's always been my thing that's not everybody's argument and i understand you know uh people love that game and i know people are going to pay for it obviously especially on pc where it's never been available i think it's i think sony is smart to do it but i just don't find it to be particularly necessary personally i've also been rambling so i'll let you guys take no i mean there is no time limit say whatever you need to say no big deal at all dustin do you have anything to add about the last of us and you know i feel like with i wanted to bring it up because the typically when a number of people write in and i want to say six or eight people wrote in about this on our thread of 160 comments or something that i was like okay well this is something clearly that's not going through that's we're going to be talking about for a while i fear the discourse about this game i i on one hand, I'm very excited to play it on September 2nd. I'm going to play the shit out of this game on PS5, no doubt. And can't wait to see the trophy list. Can't wait to see the updates, all the rest. But I fear the discourse. I feel like the discourse around PlayStation games right now is a little broken. We're going to talk about that in the next comment as well and how it compares to its competitor. But I also think that the discourse around The Last of Us is just kind of fucked since 2020. Yeah. So um, what do you think of it? So the main thing that I want to comment on, just because I've seen people write in about this and you brought it up briefly is this price aspect and we'll leave it at this just since I'm sure we'll come up again. And like you said, the discourse in this game is going to be annoying to me. It's, it's complicated just in that I feel like it's a specific instance with this game where I spent full price when the game came out on PlayStation three. And then a year later it was a bit of a hard sell but I bought it again for full price with a little bit more content with the DLC on PS4 remastered. And so from a personal perspective and like 
thinking about what personal value I'll get out of it, it's hard to stomach un- paying for this game again with these upgrades when you think about other stuff that Sony's like think about the Uncharted collection that was $60 at launch and you got three games like and I know that those weren't fully remade but it's one of the and I brought this up last week too is that this is technically less content as well because it doesn't include any kind of multiplayer mode and it's like not even that I would really want that but it's just I think it's something to keep in mind and Ultimately, it is going to come down. The The value is always, it always has been and always will be in the eye of the beholder. That if it's like, yes, this is my favorite game ever. I don't care that it is technically less because the value to me is in the remake and the better gameplay improvements and all of that stuff. Right. So, yeah. So for, for Colin, it's it's worth $70 and that's totally fine. For me, oh God, it's, it's worth, just it's more than that to me. Yeah. yeah. It's a hard justification when i'm like i've seen these story beats before and the fact that it's in 4k with better character models is i i feel like i'm satiated in that right so it's like it comes back to that argument about is it a necessary remake and that is again one of those things that is going to be in the eye of the beholder so yeah i don't know i can't we can't our will forget what i said on this podcast by the time we hit stop recording so i don't remember how definitive i was about like maybe i was overly definitive about this like being unnecessary and not worth it and so maybe that's how i've changed a little bit it's just like you know if if this is what you want like cool i'm i'm happy for you that you'll be able to get this like one of your favorite games or whatever and be able to get that in this new awesome way but for me personally i've had enough i've i've feel like i've spent enough and i've seen this story enough that getting this level into like getting this much back for that price is personally not worth it for for me. And I know that there's many people that agree. That's been kind of the interesting thing is that I've been getting not I specifically, but people, you know, there are people that are staunchly for like, yes, obviously like Chris must be blind that he can't see the difference. There are some people being quite rude. Um, well, look, 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 look. Yeah. I, I will say like when I said I can't see the difference, that's not it wasn't necessarily literal. I think I was talking about more and this is I've explained this before, but I'm not talking about like I can't tell which one is different. Like I can tell they're both different. For me, in certain screenshots, I had a, I had trouble discerning which one was supposed to be better. Yeah, I understand. Because, what you mean. Yeah, because style is a lot. A lot of game, des- a lot of character modeling, and a lot of art design is style. And to me, like I like the style of the original. So when I see the new one, and it looks, it does look more realistic, you know, and and it, it's objectively better character models. Surely, like that's objectively true. But I look at them, I look at, you know, Ellie side by side with the original and, I'm, and I I can't help but just think the original one does look better. And it's not even because I have like a nostalgic attachment to it because I don't really. It's just there's a style there that is present that is absent from the new one. And, and that's intentional because it's meant to mimic the style of the new one, which is, you know, more gritty and more down to earth and more real. And I, I, I get that. But... There are obvious ones like there's one of a clicker that's like obviously the old one is worse. Right. You know, like it's like there's no question. It does. It's obviously a better thing. But to me, I'm always going to be of the camp of, you know, just because something is technically better doesn't necessarily mean that that is uh, the subjective assessment. Like, I think 
I think PS1 Polygon Crash is the best looking Crash because he just looks ridiculous. Because he just looks yeah. as absurd. He looks as absurd as his games suggest. So as so as much better of a character model as the insane trilogy model of Crash is, I find that it lacks a certain edge and, and it lacks a certain style and a certain silliness that was there by necessity of older hardware. That's not the case yeah. with The Last of Us because obviously that that hardware was weaker but still capable of doing a well enough job, but... It's just it's entirely subjective, you know, like it, it's all art design and, and preferences. So and I think, too, something that is worth bringing up, there was a big conversation around uh, Naughty Dog posted the tweet that was like Tess glow up and it showed the character Tess in the old version and this new remake. And of, of course, there was drama around this because there are some people that are like, oh, she looks old now. And there was like the joke about like gamers only wanting like the the females to be young, hot and beautiful or whatever. And I'm like, that's not, you know, there are those people out there, of course. But for me, when I saw this, I'm like, that just doesn't look like that character to me. Like they changed the way she looks. And that is weird because that's not how like when I see her, I'm like, that kind of looks like a different person in some ways. And it like almost was like disconnecting in some ways. And so, again, yeah. that's not going to bother everybody, but uh, I don't know. I don't know where I'm at with this anymore. Uh, teach their own. That was my main point. <laughs> All right. I want to read this next one. It's long. I usually don't like these long ones, but I did want to read it. Got a few thumbs up and people were interested in it. Bix Hutch wrote in, said, hey, Colin, my question is mostly for you, but I'd like to hear what the other guys think as well. In your last episode, you unknowingly admitted not just your bias, but the gaming media as a whole's bias against Xbox towards PlayStation. When speaking about the Tomb Raider exclusivity, you mentioned how the entire media was up in arms and grabbed the torches and pitchforks to try to pry the information on exclusivity out of Xbox, to which they folded pretty quickly. I remember those days being very well. I remember those days very well as they were brutally even go online at all as an Xbox fan. I'm wondering where the explosive outrage went for the Final Fantasy VII remake. I think a little context is due before digging any further. Final Fantasy VII remake was announced as a time exclusive. The boxes and stores even came attached with a sticker stating the exclusivity was one year. Multiple online storefronts accidentally displayed the Xbox box art and GameStop employees have said that they saw promotional materials with Xbox support listed. Now, I say all that because after two years in pure silence from Square Enix and Sony, the media has said nothing. There has been no outrage or media support for millions of fans who have never been told that they will they will or won't get the game on the system they prefer. These double standards happen frequently in the eyes of Xbox fans. I've noticed over the years that much like conservatives in politics, that Xbox gamers have turned away from the media and shifted to online personalities. Conservative commentators such as Ben Shapiro, Candace Owen, and your friend David Rubin have gained massive followings that dwarf even cable networks due to conservatives feeling like they don't have a voice in American media. I see Xbox fans taking the same route with guys like Colt Eastwood, Jess Corden, the Iron Lords, Rand L. Thor, I think I'm saying that right, and mm -hmm. our beloved Maddie and Cog. Maddie recently said he believes Xbox gamers are more harshly criticized and it's an ongoing topic in the Xbox community, so it's been on my mind a lot lately. As a gamer that supports all consoles and the PS1 is my favorite console of all time, the different treatment is glaring to me. There are many other instances I could mention, but since it came up on your podcast, I figured I'd use that. So what do you think, Colin and crew? Do you see it at all? Or is the Xbox army a bunch of crazy people? I thought this was interesting because I wanted to bring up a few things that I think are important. Mm -hmm. First, Bix, you're saying that no one had brought up this Final Fantasy VII remake date shit. That's bullshit, isn't it? I mean, isn't it? Because I've said it a million times on the show. 
Yeah, we, something's we, up with this game. Yeah, something's up with this game. It's past its date. It's supposed to be on Xbox already. I think I've said it 55,000 times on the show. So <laughs> I don't know that. I don't know if you want me to be like upset that it's not happened, but I've brought it up. It's obvious that something has happened. And mm, I think it's obvious that Sony has just gone and money had it. Final Fantasy stuff in an even more drastic way than they already had. I, I would assume Final Fantasy 16 might have been like a timed exclusive similarly, and that might just be a straight up second party exclusive now. I don't or third party exclusive now. I don't really know, but I kind of take issue with that, that characterization, at least of our show, because it does come up. We do bring that up. I have said that that was weird, and I don't really dig the Tomb Raider comparison because we've talked about Rise of the Tomb Raider. We were making fun of that in the moment at the time, seven years ago, whenever it was, because they were totally dodgy about it in the moment. You're talking about how all of the promotional material for Final Fantasy VII Remake had a date, like it's one year from now. It did. And then the situation changed and we don't know anything about that. But the same situation existed for Xbox and they refused to say it until someone twisted their arm and made them submit. That's different. So I think that that's just two different things. However, I wanted to say this about the hardcore Xbox fans. We have lots of Xbox fans that listen to the show. There seems to be. Well, let me back up. As a PlayStation podcast, I don't really get a lot of the negative PlayStation stuff that I'm sure happens. Like, it's not directed at me. It's not going to be directed at me. You know, they're not going to direct it at the dude with 130 platinum trophies who plays all the first and second party games that come out and stuff and does a, the world's most famous PlayStation podcast. They're not really going to come after me. So I get that. But the inverse is not true. And I deal with a lot of Xbox people in my comments, in my DMs and whatever. That are pretty hostile and harsh mm-hmm. to me. And I think what this brings out is. Why do you care so much? That's kind of what I'm wondering. People always ask me, like, why are you always talking about this? Why are you always talking about that on the show? Why does it matter so much to you? And it's because I'm an analyst genius. That's why it matters to me. I'm an analyst of the industry. I've been for 20 years. So when something's happening or something isn't happening, it's going to be of great interest to me. And I'm going to talk about it. The next subsequent question you need to then ask yourself in return is, why do you care so much what I have to say? I think some people are obsessed with it. Mm. And it's interesting. They clip it out and put it on Twitter. (laughs) It's like like it's like I have that much power over you. Just saying whatever has that much power over you. I think it's I mean, that's a great compliment to me. And I'm not saying you, Bix, I'm saying the royal you, of course. I do agree that Xbox has created this really interesting ecosystem of people that are creating content. In fact, all the people you mentioned, I think, have been on Defining Duke. Yeah. And that's our that's our um, Xbox podcast. And they all do their own thing. I think here's my interpretation of xbox the xbox fan xbox fandom generally is that it seems to be more a fan base about a way of buying games as opposed to a fan base that plays games because there's and i'm not saying that xbox fans don't play games what i mean by that is playstation fandom about first and second party fandom seems to be around the different ip the licenses in the two or three or four games we get every year and the argument and conversation constantly with Xbox fans seems to be about Game Pass. And so these are just two different things. Mm-hmm. I don't give a flying fuck about subscription services. We were just talking earlier how like I just don't want to get PlayStation Plus Premiere or whatever the hell it's called. I don't want it. And so it's hard for me to kind of vibe with a hardcore fan base that seems to be 
that's fi- that whose fandom seems to surround a subscription. That's that that to me is hard for me to grapple with because my fandom and games surrounds games. Mm-hmm. And so that I think is just a segment of what I've experienced. But like I said at the top, the I'm sure vibrant and vehement negativity that comes out of the PlayStation ecosystem, those cannons aren't directed at me. So I'm not going to pretend that it's really any different. But that's my observation is that I see the passion. I see all the different people cropped up. And I think that there's a I think Xbox's ecosystem is just developing differently. It's about access to games. It's about the ability to get these games cheaply to hold on to them in the subscription service. And there's a passion for that. And I respect that. But it's not a passion that I share. My passion is for games like the games themselves and the industry itself and the stories of the industry and the developers. I couldn't care less about paying for them. I'm happy to pay for my games. So and for people that don't listen to the show regularly or don't know, we don't get any games early. We pay for all of our games just like you. So that's kind of what I have to say about that. I think it's so. No, I don't think Xbox people are a bunch of you said our Xbox army, a bunch of crazy people. No, they seem like a pretty passionate group of people. But the ones that interact with me in the most vile way, I'm confused why they care so much about what I have to say. That's interesting to me. And I think some people think it's like, well, they're they're clipping you out and making fun of you and all of this. And I'm like, that's fine. And we want to kind of nip that in the bud when it's unfair. But otherwise, it's kind of a compliment. That. You know, the you want to hear what the PlayStation podcast has to say. I don't know. So that's kind of my t- that's my take. Chris, you have anything to add? I don't know. I I, I think um, I think it's a different style. I, I don't think necessarily that the passion is about the subscription service. I, th- I think there is a there is a certain there is a passion for it. But I don't think that necessarily precludes like because there are people who are wondering, like, where the hell is Fable? You know, like like that was the, that was the big that was the big conversation about like about this last showcase where it's like people people are awaiting in that community for very specific games from very specific developers so right. no, I, I i i hate to interrupt i want to just make sure i i'm clear i'm clear i'm talking simply about a, a vocal subset oh, right, of right, xbox right, right, fans right. yeah not all xbox fans of no, course. yeah of course you know i'm sure there are plenty of people that are confused where all the games are as well yeah and but i so i want to make sure i'm not painting with a broad brush i'm simply talking to bix hutch's segment of the right. xbox army that seems to be most vocal that seems to be right. a, a cult of personality that surrounds game pass but yeah yeah no, you're, you're not wrong but i i think for me like my assessment of the the perceived bias really just comes down to grandfathering you know where like to me it's like oh uh nintendo's been around the longest so they have the most amount of just sheer intrinsic like, oh, we love this, even though it's fine. You know, like it's it's like there's a lot of forgiveness levied towards Nintendo because so many associate their childhoods with Nintendo. They've been around for so long. They're synonymous with video games. Like even when I got my PS1, my grandmother called it a Nintendo. You know, like they, that's how synonymous they are. They're like Band-Aids. <laughs> you know, they just like mm-hmm. they own yeah, right. Kleenex. They, yeah. And that's changed in recent years. But they're, they still have that pedigree of like, you know. Yeah, here's our 98th Mario game. And you love it because it's Mario and it's what you know. And it's like maybe like a slightly different twist on what you know, but it's mostly what you know and what you love. And, and that's fine. And that they've developed their ecosystem around that. Then you have PlayStation coming in a little bit later. Right. And they 
because they're kind of like the middle child, they have they have it. They get it kind of both ways where they you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of bias in favor of of PlayStation exclusives, specifically just based on presentation alone. Like if if a if a game plays poorly, but looks really good, there's a lot of people who are going to come out to defend. Not to say that that's exclusive to PlayStation, but it happens. And you also have people who are like, oh, what the fuck are these guys? Uh, pretentious, pretentious, you know, like uh, third person over the shoulder game over and over and over again, which, again, is not an invalid criticism either. Then you have Xbox, which is as far as like the big three, the newer kid on the block. We've it's gaming's old enough now that all of these guys have been around a long time. So you see a lot less of it in general, but they are the new kids on the block, so to speak. And so, yeah, it doesn't matter how good Sea of Thieves actually is. You know, it's always going to be like, ah, oh, that's that rare game. Like, what are they doing with rare? And it's like they're making this incredible <laughs> thriving like sandbox that is insane, you know, and, you know, I, I, I feel like it goes that way. And you can even see it, by the way, when new things crop up. The second Stadia happened as as objectively bad of an idea as that was, everyone shit all over it <laughs> because it was new. It was the new kid on the block relative to the rest of them. And I think that's just like I think. History favors history favors that which is just too old to remember accurately, I feel like is almost is almost part of it where it's like, you know, we revere certain figures because they're old enough now that they're so separate from a person, you know, like, oh, no, you're, you're absolutely right. You know what I mean? And, and what's ironic about what you're saying, too, is that we're so like you said, with the distance PlayStation 4, or I'm sorry, PlayStation 1 came out in December 1994 in Japan, right? Xbox came out in November 2001. They're not that much they're not that separate in terms of time because yeah. we're in 2022 and the nes and with uh, and the nes wasn't even that far it was like what nine years before the ps1 right so that's exactly right they're not really that far apart but they they feel further apart than they are indeed indeed that's very well said dustin do you have anything to add about this uh conversation about you know fandom and xbox fans uh the so-called xbox army do you think they're a bunch of crazy people? I mean, I personally don't. I just I think I just get a lot of negativity that wouldn't be directed at an Xbox podcast. Right. right? And I'm sure that those guys, those the the different Xbox commentators that were mentioned in that comment, I'm sure they get the crazy PlayStation people sending the same type of messages that you get. So, yeah, there's always crazies on all sides when it comes to this conversation about. Rise of the Tomb Raider and the weird exclusivity stuff. I think it's important. And I want to say this. I want to make sure. Colin, I'm sure you will know this. But as far as I can tell, Sony hasn't paid for a direct sequel to be a timed exclusive. Now, some will argue it's like, well, Final Fantasy was on Xbox and now... It's not, which I I understand it is. It's a numbered sequel, but it's not a direct story. Yeah, sequel. I understand what you're saying. That sounds right. Yeah, I'd have to. Hmm. So I can, yeah, I can understand the frustration of uh, PlayStation fans at that time being like, what the fuck? This was a multi-platform game. I'm invested in this story. And now you're just paying to keep it away. So I understand why that happened at that moment. I'm not trying to justify or whatever. I'm just adding context as far as the, I, I think that there is some truth that it's like, yeah, no one is causing a, an outrage 
uh, about Final Fantasy VII Remake, other than probably a select few and some. I'm not saying they don't exist, but some of them are wondering where that game is. And the reality is, it's just that people play Japanese games on PlayStation, by and large, overall. And yeah, I think it's cool that Xbox is trying to get a footing in Japan, specifically with, well, maybe not a footing in Japan, but getting Japanese games on Xbox. I think that that's great for them to add more types of games to their platform. It's cool. I'm glad. I'm like legitimately. I'm so glad that Xbox fans will be able to play Persona and that they'll be able to play it with no cost to entry on Game Pass. That gets more people into that fandom, which is good for me as a fan of Persona. But if you want to explain the reasoning of why there's no outrage is that the hardcore Final Fantasy fans that wanted to play Remake got a PlayStation to play it when they've already played it. Right. Like yeah. and same with the like. So it's it's a different situation where it's like, OK, we're taking away a direct story story sequel and we're making a sequel or we're making a game that the fan base is already primarily on PlayStation and by the time that the exclusivity would be up all the people that really want to play it found a way to do it i feel like a more compelling comparison although not exactly because there's a bunch of legal reasons why it's not entirely the same but i remember feeling a a certain type of way when spider-man was a was a ps was a playstation exclusive because i remember feeling like that was particularly weird because that character is so ubiquitous and i remember being like that's such a strange that's that almost is an annoying choice. Obviously, it's because Insomniac is working on it and there's obviously like a deal like that. It's not like that doesn't make sense to me. But I remember at the time being like, this feels like it. This feels like it should be on more places <laughs> than yeah. is typical, because like, I don't think there has ever been a a Spider-Man exclusive game before that. Like, I don't think that ever happened like ever. Like yeah, even not, even not, uh, of any, not of any consequence. Yeah, like even even like the NeverSoft Spider-Man games, those were on PS1 and Nintendo 64. I remember because the 64 right. version had those stupid freeze frame cutscenes because they couldn't afford. Right, to yeah, because yeah, there was no memory yeah. in those games. <laughs> well, and I just it's, when oh, it comes to those fandoms like that, like I I get the frustration if you're a big Spider-Man fan and it's like, well, Sony came in and made a deal, and now you can't play it. It's like, well, they also paid for it and funded it so it's like yeah no they, yeah obviously their, yeah, yeah and i know you're not saying that but i know that there are people out there that are like sony kept spider-man away from other consoles i'm like they they made it happen they paid for it so yeah of course and it's like when xbox pays for this indiana jones game and makes it happen then i would expect it to be exclusive on that platform even though i'm sure there's a shit ton of indiana jones fans on that's also apparently maybe not exclusive. I don't know if you guys have been seeing really? that, which is really interesting. Yeah. Whoa. I don't I don't, okay. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know for sure. I think it was um Jez that said that. I could be wrong though. We'll see. But um I actually was gonna end with this, but I wanted to well, I'll go to this one next because it kind of connects with the one I want to say next, which is uh it's from James Hill. He says, Hey Chris Collin and Mr. Steal Your Wife. Oh. Is it me or are gamers getting burnt out? The most recent examples I can think of are the discussions around Starfield and The Last of Us Part One. The gaming collective is feeling pretty negative about both games. It seems like the consensus is Starfield seems too big for its own good, and whatever work was done on The Last of Us Part 1, it's not worth the $70 price tag. Are gamers finally fed up being burnt by false promises by devs and big corporate pricing gouging its audience? Thanks for writing in, James. So this kind of connects to what I wanted to say here, because I do feel like there's a general, if I might be Jimmy Carter for a minute, there's a general malaise over gaming right now. I feel that the gap in releases has given enthusiasts room to wander 
a little bit too much. And when you're wandering like we are right now, kind of from scarce game to scarce game, I think that it just creates a lot of annoyance amongst people because we want to be here. And this is kind of goes into what I was saying, like, why do you care so much about what people say about games you like is we're ultimately here to play games, but there's just not very many of them right now. So all we have to do is prognosticate about what is to be and and wax nostalgically about what, what already was. And so to James's question, I feel like it's not about getting burnt by false promises. It's simply and I don't think it's price gouging either. I really don't think most people give a flying fuck about paying $70 for a game. I think it's totally incidental to a lot of people. It's $10 more than you're paying for the game for the last 15 years. I mean, is that big of a deal? Um, I don't think it's that. I think it's that people just don't have any games to play. So they're just looking for things to complain about. And you know what this feels a lot like? And I know you guys remember it. And I was certainly there is it just feels like the old games industry. Like people are like this negativity is out of nowhere. And I'm like, "Mm, it kind of feels like the old industry, because back in the day, if you were a GameCube fan in like 2003, for instance, you probably had. I don't know, five releases of a quarter, you know, for probably two of those quarters, like there was nothing to do. So what did you do? You went on GameFAQs and you fucking complained and you had huge 10,000 thread Zelda art, you know, things going on and you had. And but that when we came out, a lot of that negativity went away because everyone was back with Nintendo again and there was things to do and things to play. And then when that started to wane again, then people were anti Nintendo and then people. So what I'm saying is there are there are gaps in games and I think it's most pronounced on Xbox. And that is why I think maybe the angst is greatest there. That's the connection I can make to that. Does that resonate with you at all, Chris? Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think, I think the, especially with, you know, the way they kind of mismanaged uh, their biggest IP, you know, I feel like that also lends to just like the general kind of like, what the fuck is going on? But generally, I, I think you're right. I don't think I don't think this is necessarily out of nowhere. This this we've had periods like this several times that I that I can remember anyway. And it's different for everybody, depending on which ecosystem you're in. You know what I mean? Like certain years, you know, like you were talking about GameCube in, in that time. It's like I remember on Xbox, it was like um, it was around 2011, 2011 to 2013. And then like that persisted into the Xbox one. I mean, you had like some reprieves with like uh, Sunset Overdrive and, you know, I enjoyed Quantum Break. But like, I mean, that whole generation was just like, what the fuck is going on? And the way they fumbled the Master Chief Collection and it didn't work for six years feels like, you know, it was a mess, you know. So the malaise over there has been insane. And I, and I actually do think that long period of time kind of led to the relative positivity in that sphere right now. Uh, just to see the sea of thieves come into its own and to see game class uh, flourishing and to see like all these, you know, even halo infinite for as like much of a disaster as that is of the three first person shooter, big league hitters that came out that year. It was the best one, which is, you know, it doesn't say much for those other ones, but you know, you, you know, you take your victories where you can when you're in, when you're in certain places. I agree. And I also think that it's just from from an outsider's perspective about Xbox. It's like if I were an Xbox content creator, I'd be pretty amped right now, because even though there's a dearth of games, Dustin, there's like a lot of things to talk about. Like there's a lot of mysteries to unravel. I'd be pretty into the weeds right now. I'd be wondering, where are the what are these where are these games? What is what has gone wrong? What has missed? Why can't the quality that we've had with Xbox Live and with the console and the, and the controller and all the things that we do, right? Why can't we get the, the first and second party games out? The mystery abounds. 
And I'd be amped about that. I mean, I wouldn't be amped as an Xbox player, but I'd be amped as an Xbox content creator. Right. But but do you feel that there's a general malaise amongst gamers right now as well of all types? I, I do feel like there is. I just feel like it, it comes from a lack of distraction. And we were just we we had we were flooded with games for several years. And I just think now now we wait and it sucks. But what do you do when you wait? You get bored and then you start getting agitated. Yeah, I, I think there's some of that. And I think there's some of like we have these new consoles and with new consoles, we expect new experiences and we really haven't gotten that. Ironically, one of the best quote unquote new experiences, which is only kind of half that is Elden Ring. And that's really been kind of rallied around and become this like water cooler game and that's not even a next like a current a ps5 or series x only game that's also came out on on last gen as well so i think there is some of that where you also just have uh, a lot of games that are playing it safe like there's a lot of like imperative from publishers to make safe games and eventually like you kind of hit a wall with that and it's funny because we see i i think it's funny when you see companies like kind of do something good and reinvent themselves but then just do that reinvented thing then over and over uh you saw that with assassin's creed that they kind of like hit a wall and then they took a little bit of time off and they came back with origin they're like this is people are like this is great and then they did it again with valhalla and now people are like "Mm, nope never mind this actually feels like it was like Okay, Valhalla was too much then of that new new take on Assassin's Creed or whatever. And so yeah. it's funny because I've seen people now, they're like, man, I miss the old style of Assassin's Creed games. It's like, ah, you know, it's like you almost got to like cycle things in and out or something like that. But I think that as we see the COVID, you know, after we get past this, like, I don't know. We're seeing less games right now because the COVID delays and stuff like that. I think once we get out of this and get out of this cross gen period and allow developers to take things to the next level, we see Unreal 5 kind of finally it's out now. And now we just need to see these games actually come to fruition and come out that we will hopefully start to see more excitement. But um, I don't know. Maybe that's me being optimistic, because like I said, there is that market imperative to make games that are. Yeah. same or you know safe but I, I don't know i keep i there's always counters like look at elden ring look at how that took something that on the books should not have been this critical success i mean it had some critical success written on it or commercial success because it's a it's a from software game but not to that extent and so i just hope developers make publishers see that and it's like look we can do stuff that isn't necessarily cookie cutter and if we do it right and take time and care and attention to it that uh we can be rewarded for that but it's always a risk yeah instead you got a uh, wacky first person shooters <laughs> constantly coming out that you're just like who the Hell fuck yeah x defiant love it well that's the other that the ironic part is that if you make the game that's too safe or too safe on paper then it just ends up being like everything else and it was like well that wasn't worth it either it's like you got to be find some kind of middle ground or at least push one direction we need more Balan Wonder Worlds. Yeah, Balan Wonder World was bold and different. At least it had that going for it, you know. But too bad it sucked. Balan Wonder Worlds better than no Wonder Worlds. Yeah, and I feel <laughs> like um, I mean, there's a little bit of a self irony that needs to be identified here too. Like, why are we talking about this so extensively right now? Because there's nothing else to talk about. Yeah. So, 
I digress. The final inquiry comes from Chimpanzee Blaze Oil. It says, good <laughs> oh. afternoon, you beautiful slitterheads. This question is mostly for Chris, but feel free to chime in, Colin and Dustin. A couple of weeks ago, Chris commented his dream game was one where you could fly a spaceship, land on a planet, get out and engage in FPS gameplay. This game exists, kind of. Have you looked into Star Citizen? I'm aware of the controversy around it, but as an avid player, there's a lot to like. The FPS gameplay is decent. Mining, bounty hunting and exploration is a ton of fun and ship combat is really fantastic as it's still an alpha. It requires some patience and it's a bit obtuse, but I still find myself in awe of the game regularly. Maybe give it a look sometime. So, of course, he's talking about Star Citizen, which comes from Cloud Imperium Games. It's not technically out yet. And of course, it's the, the brainchild of. Chris Roberts, who goes all the way back to Richard Gary and origin systems and the ultimate games. And of course, he was he was best known for Wing Commander. So this is like his first project in in basically this this century of any consequence. (laughs) But it's raised. I mean, an eye watering four hundred million dollars in crowdfunding. And it's just insanity. I don't understand. I look at videos of it every once in a while and I'm like, it's cool, but I don't really understand what the intent is here and where this money is going is this a game that's interesting to you is uh, is that doesn't scratch the itch that you were talking about no because i i think he boiled down my he boiled down my initial desire a little bit too much like he says like oh my dream game is one that you could fly a spaceship land on a planet engage in fps gameplay that's not what i'm talking about my dream game is you're flying around and it's no man's sky and then you land and you get out and it's destiny specifically like everything that both of those games entail mixed together into the same thing. I want I want to fly to Mars, land, jump out and do a raid, you know, with a bunch of other space wizards and fucking cloaked you know, uh, awoken hunters in the middle of like a, a computer's brain. You know, like it's not just, oh, fly around, get out and shoot a thing. Anybody can do that. I mean, like we're going we're technically going to get that in Starfield. You know, like that's not it's not necessarily that that in and of itself is the design that I want. It's more so what everything that Destiny does right mix with everything that No Man's Sky does so well. I feel like that would be like just such a such a great game for me personally because it's everything that i love it's it's sci-fi it's magic it's it's resource management it's it's uh, you know proper like really well-designed fps combat it's 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 well-defined loot it's cool lore that isn't really encapsulated in you fly a ship and you engage in fps gameplay you know what i mean yeah i i i totally agree i mean i I, star citizen is a, a great mystery to me do you have anything to add dustin i'm intrigued about this game and I've seen clips that look cool but I don't want to play a game that isn't done yet and that includes Star Citizen so I will check it out when it's ready this game will never be done yeah I do wonder when the shit or get off the pot moment really comes for them because they haven't sold anything really I mean it's all just buying in-game items I think and and crowdfunding I I do wonder if the game can meet meet its um its goals but the longer you leave these things in the oven, the games industry just moves too quickly. It's not like movies or something where no. a great film in the 60s is going to be a great film today. It's it's just it's totally different. So we'll see what happens there. But I agree with you, uh, Dustin, that the, or I'm sorry, Chris, that this idea of like a Destiny 2 shooter. I mean, this is more like what Eve Online was trying to be connected with Dust 514. And that yeah. would be that would be much more interesting. So. We'll keep an eye out for these and similar ambitious games. Maybe it'll come to PlayStation if it ever launches. But that's all we have for this episode of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. Yeah, let's just uh, end with closing comments. Dustin, 
Closing comments from you first. Closing comments. Uh, looking forward to seeing some of you uh, at Too Many Games. I've never been to this convention before. I know it's more retro-focused, which is very cool, and I know there's some other stuff there. So, uh, as always, if you see us there, uh, which Ben and I and Dagan will be there as well. He'll be on the show floor, well, so it'll be elusive. You can try yeah. to find him. I think he's going to be there Saturday. If you see us, please feel free to say hi, and uh, we can you know chat for a bit. So should be fun. Cool, man. And Chris, closing comments. Oh, uh, I don't know, man. I'm I'm gonna be heading over to Anaheim in a little bit. So. Oh yeah, VidCon. Mm. Yeah. I've been to Anaheim since uh, since VidCon 2014. I think was the last yeah. time I went. I'm already so there. tired because it's so hot here. <laughs> I know. Gross. <laughs> well, have fun. Be safe. Yeah. And uh, thank you all out there for your love, kindness, and support of all things Sacred Symbols and Last Stand Media. Patreon.com/slash Last Stand Media could not do it without your support there. And of course. Find us on podcast services, YouTube, et cetera, if you'd like to as well. Leave us nice reviews and uh, buy merch. Are we doing we'll start pushing merch more in the coming weeks, I think, outside of Discord. We want to make sure we have enough sacred shirts. And so we're just kind of waiting on an order right now. OK, so cool. It'll be all soon. Right, perfect. Very soon. Soon enough. All right, my friends. Well, thank you all out there. Thank you, guys. And uh, until next time. Goodbye. See ya. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is proudly recorded in the USA. The show is conceived by, is written by, and is directed by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-hosts are Chris Raygun Maldonado and Dustin Furman. The show is produced by executive producer Dustin Furman. It's edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by my best friend, Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand's shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer level on Patreon, our highest tier, and we're grateful for your thoughtful and kind contributions to our independent endeavor. Thank you. Casual Misfits Gaming, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLDFMA, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Malachi Wall, Dave Cowell, Donald John Vader, Stephen Interfield, Lord Starscream, Jacob Donovan, Eduardo Perez, Salty Trees, My Name is Mayo, Logan Byford, GJ, Eddie Medina, Jason R. Zahn, Christopher Knock, Zeno Adam, Grayson Maxwell, Cody Woodall, Nuclear Prostate, Sorta Serious Gaming, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Zia Parrix, Henry Groth, Relentless Rex, Tristan Palacios, Drew Mullen, Graham Plays, Christian R., Jad Reed, Benjamin Mumma, Patrick Skipper, Brian Hernandez Espinoza, Chris Kelly, Remington Wilson, Dustin Graff, Peyton Stone, Jalapeno, Josh Hallen Rui, Michael Buffel, Dan Root, Asak Parides, Talisman, Christopher Morgan, Randall Holsey, Robbie Nauman, William Holbert, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Daniel Johnson, H. Tronge, JT, Antonio C., Jay Getter, Assassinated Devil, Bjorn Campbell, Andrew Morgan, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Jordan Gale, of Fortuna, John Zeal, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Gavin Newland, Alex LaPierre, Saul Balcazar, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Matt Flowers, Kinnums, Joseph Baker, Bustard, Rodney Coleman, Cruxes, Chris Moore, Caswell, Anti Kinnanen, Chris, Dave Alvarez, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Justin Gonzalez, Mason Cadillac, Ollie Fritz, Zach Allen, Kyle Hagel, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naaman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie 108, Patrick Montgomery, Simon Dunbar, D.B. Cooper, Fat Houdini, Richter 86, Ian Bravo, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Jonathan Coates, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Jordan Town, Brian Chan, Organic Produce, Carlos Algorit, Dominic, Mike Menzel, Richard Hebert III, 
Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Gavin, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Lou and Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Tom Quinn, Anton Kay, Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bellow, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zuniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, The Rose Experience, and Grizzled Veterans Media, Tyler Goodwin, William O'Carroll, Jorge Powell, Max Cannon, Phil Crone, Throw Seven, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Joey Gondoliger, Gerald Pennington, Justin Payne, Justin Wagaman, David Iacolucci, Paul Joyce, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Andrew, Keith A. Lewis, Ashley Carlson, Marius Carson Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Purdue, Patrick Carper, Mad Mock Media, and Jonathan Rice. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. 